Conversation cussing and a discussing with America's only born and bred Southern liberal talk host. Head on with Bob Kincaid is brought to you each night by Coal River Mountain Watch. Coal River Mountain Watch invites you to become part of the solution, part of a sustainable future, part of the uprising against mountaintop removal. Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. And now, from high in the hills of beautiful West Bicod, Virginia, here's Bob Kincaid on the Head On Radio Network. Well, howdy. And here we are off and running on this 27th day of December 2022. This is the Horn, headon.live is where you'll find us on the interweb tubes. That's where you go if you'd like to be part of the merry, wacky, zany, real-time, madcap, multimedia extravaganza that is the Horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live, Monday through Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, all time zones in between, and the Great Globe Round, and whatever time it is, when you're listening to the podcast. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you uh, for listening to the program in whatever manner you so choose. Thanks for being part of what I think and what many who listen to this program think is one of the most unique broadcast communities uh, anywhere in Merca today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, if you show up in the chat room, Squeaky could use some company because it's, it's just Squeaky and a bunch of cops. <laughs> Squeaky's there, and so is longtime inveterate, indefatigable veteran chat room moderator Sparky, who is not folding space to become man cave. He is capably assisted by Horn Chief Agronomist and uh, and head mathematician Roger in Oregon. I'm there as a moderator too, not that I'm any good at it. And of course, uh, there's also pinch hit midweek chat room utility moderator and all around great guy. Brother Bishop Steve from Georgia Stan. <laughs> Don't make a false move, Squeaky. <laughs> You're being watched. <laughs> oh, Ralph's has shown up to bring some company. Thank you, Ralph's. That's mighty kind of you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, oh, let me make the little poppet noise go away. I don't know why it defaults to that, but it does. So that we won't be listening to, you know, throughout the program. Stephen, Steve from Georgetown. We are brain brainabolic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just need some. Sometimes the program just starts with a little cackle, and I can't help myself. Um, let's see here. Let me check in the. Uh, 
Yeah, Dave in the blind said, if everything works out, Christine will be listening direct from her blind. Well, Christine, if you're there, hey, hon, I hope you're having happy holidays. I sincerely do. Uh, every program here at the Horn, uh, it begins with gratitude because this, this, this program runs on pure, unadulterated kindness. Uh, and uh, so we say thank you to our 27th day of the month subscriber. That means thank you so kindly to our dear friend of such long standing, uh, Robert in Australia. Hey, Robert, I hope you're okay. Haven't heard from you in a while. Let us uh, drop a note and just let everybody know you're okay. Pretty please. And so uh, that lets me know that, uh, uh, well, darn it. Okay, stream's still good from here. That that must be on your end, Ralph. Sorry about that, hon. Um, so the fundraising goal to keep every you know keep the hamster on the wheel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and lights on, and Lord knows water running, packets passing, everything. Uh, well, that is uh, that number is one thousand four hundred and thirty dollars. So we got from now until Friday, that's four. So just to do a little bit of ciphering there, because uh, we won't lean on the horns, chief mathematician, for this. Yeah, we need to be raising $357.50 per program in order to finish December and particularly 2022 uh, what passes for fully funded. So it would be great if we could get that started. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody who's gotten us this close. Thank you. Uh, Lord God, I got an email today from the West Virginia GOP telling me they're going to have a celebration of success dinner. And it's going to cost you 75 bucks to celebrate that success. And... Uh, I, I, you couldn't you couldn't get me there if you gave me the tickets for free. That was success. You know, screwing this poor broke ass state day after day, week after week, year after year, worker by worker, citizen by citizen. Ugh. Uh, little reminder. Uh, and by the way, a special birthday wishes going out to. Uh, uh, my dear friend, our dear friend, Tara Devlin, it's her birthday today, and she'll be joining me for uh, to uh, uh, sit in for the Malloy program uh, that comes your way, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we'll be there uh, this evening and tomorrow evening, which is Wednesday, then Thursday and Friday as well, while uh, Mike is away on some, uh, hopefully, uh, holiday rest. Uh, Ron and Raleigh and I were of the same mind as to where, as for where we uh, start the program this evening. Breaking news came uh, just before airtime. The, uh, uh, the the Supreme Court, well, our most puissant dread sovereign, 
Supreme Catholic Majesties uh, said that uh, Title 42, which has allowed the, uh, it, it, which was put in place by the Nitwit Nero Gang, and is a, is is nothing but a manifestation of uh, the most vicious racism and cruelty toward people trying to flee for their very lives from places that we have turned into shithole countries. Well, they're going to let that stay in place, but they're going to hear some states' arguments against it. Ron and Raleigh said, I've done a deep dive into Title 42, and I've found that this filthy program is the brainchild of, no drum roll necessary, Stephen Miller, who used the COVID pandemic as a way to overturn U.S. immigration law. Title 42 was not passed by Congress. Its purpose was to end immigration at the southern border. You know, so that maggots can start working on their white ethno-state. The stay put on the act by the Supreme Court at the behest of 15 Republican governors who don't believe that COVID exists is a shibboleth. Once again, the, once again, the cruelty of a Republican program is the point. Busloads of immigrants dumped in front of the vice president's re, uh, residence, leaving people outside in the freezing cold at the border. These are the cruel, heartless people. Yet the people of Texas just went to the polls and re-elected Greg Asbot, the swine who impl- implemented the stunt, to another term in office. It's sickening. And this may sound a little bit cruel, but it wouldn't be that much of a trip. The next busload of desperate migrants, asylum seekers, that show up in Washington, D.C., and it would be nice if there could be six busloads, because each busload should be offloaded at the home of, let's say, Brat Kavanaugh. And Ann's boy Neil Gorsuch, and Sammy Bad Breath Alito, and old Balls and Strikes John Roberts, and the Handmaid, you know, because she's such a Christian. Oh, she thought, oh, she, yeah, she is a follower of Jesus, unless it's anything that's in Matthew 25. <sighs> yeah. And, of course, uh, uh, Clarence pubes on the Coke can, Fappy Thomas. Maybe he and Ginsurrectionist could offer a little bit of, uh, yeah. I mean, if Greg Asbach can do that, why can't somebody else once the, once the bus arrives, huh? And maybe, uh, may, I know, I'm just sort of brainstorming here. Um Maybe if that statement was put out that henceforward every bus would be directed to the homes of the Supreme, uh, the justice, the uh, six justices of the Supreme Court, maybe Greg Asbot might stop being quite such a, uh, oh, it's a complex technical term. Uh, what am I thinking here? Um, you dick! Yeah, even though his doesn't work anymore, probably. Oh, well, too bad. Um, so I'm in, I'm in agreement with you. Uh, this is some nasty, dirty business. Uh, Title, four, uh, Title 42 remains in effect indefinitely so that uh, Greg Asbot and others can continue to absolutely spit on Jesus. 
and tell everyone coming up seeking asylum that in fact there is no room at the inn. So, uh, well, it's kind of complicated. They're trying to play, they're, the, the, the Supreme Court is trying to play football with the lives of desperate, desperate human beings. Um, in issuing their ruling and scheduling oral arguments for February, they said that uh, the stay itself does not prevent the federal government from taking any action with respect to that policy. In other words, saying, you know, well, the Biden administration, the Trump administration put it in place. Biden administration can uh, it, it can do away with it if it wants to. This is sickening. So the court says that the Biden administration can just say it's null and void and, oh, well. That's, that'll be the end of it. But we've seen how the court responds when litigants actually render an argument moot. You remember the firearms case out of the state of New York? That sucker was moot. The state of New York moved to eliminate the rule that was so offensive to the pasty-faced, doughy, uh, paranoid chicken shit gun humpers the Supreme Court still went ahead and heard it and so uh, who did it well Sammy Bad Breath brat the handmaid old balls and strikes and fappy now uh Oddly enough, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson found herself in sort of agreement with Anne's boy, Neil. Uh, writing in dissent, Justice Jackson said, We are a court of law, not policymakers of last resort. Damn. And Gorsuch appeared to be... Um, something like in agreement. Justices Sotomayor and Elena Kagan said they would have denied the application from the states, 15 of them, and the it's not, you know, they're not good states. No, not at all. So people will continue to suffer because, well, that's what these Solons want them to do. And it's kind of what people like Greg Asbot and, you know, uh, Ron Monkey up DeClantis want to happen too. Although, really, if they got their druthers, they'd just start lining migrants up against the wall and open up with machine guns. And, of course, meanwhile, people who actually have legitimate asylum claims, they are, to use a complex legal term, fucked. 
it maybe maybe it really it maybe it's really time to go ahead and sandblast the words of Emma Lazarus off the uh, Statue of Liberty. Feels like it. And of course, it was put in place by Nitwit Nero over the pandemic, but Ron and Raleigh's absolutely right. It is a creation of America's foremost uh, Nazi fascist, okay, white identitarian nationalist, Stephen Miller, who, I remind you, uh, would not even exist if policies such as those for which he advocates had been in existence at the time his grandparents came to the United States fleeing fascism. He is disgusting. And from the Department of Well, that's freaking frustrating. Uh, News came out today that out in Arizona, Stan... Uh, the uh, judge of the Superior Court of Maricopa County refused Katie Hobbs's request to sanction Carrie Lake over her attempt to overturn governance, uh, civil governance in the state of Arizona. I, ta- I mentioned yesterday that Katie Hobbs and Maricopa County Deputy Attorney had requested that the court issue sanctions against Lake and her petty foggers. But Superior Court Judge Peter Thompson said, the fact that plaintiff, that would be Lake, failed to meet the burden of clear and convincing evidence does not equate to a finding that her claims were or were not groundless and presented in bad faith. Sounds like uh, Judge Peter Thompson might be a little... Hey, maggoty. Because, um, among other things, the suit that uh, Lake filed said there were hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots infected the election. When there's not a shred of evidence to suggest that. And she went on to cost the taxpayers of Arizona thousands upon thousands of dollars defending the frivolous lawsuit. Well, when they don't get punished, they don't, they're not disincentivized to do this evil shit again. And I guess you could say the same thing about something that happened up in uh, Michigan. Adam Fox has been sentenced. Stand by. Um, Oh, I've been corrected about Emma Lazarus. uh, The new Colossus It's on a plaque, not carved in stone, so it's easy to remove. Might as well get busy. Yeah, thanks for that, Lee. 
Oh, and by the way, I made a mistake in yesterday's program. Several people caught it. Uh, John Barrymore did not play Mr. Potter. Lionel Barrymore did. And where I had read before that he was a decent soul on set, uh, I was informed that he was, in fact, a complete horse's ass. That it may have been more typecasting than anything else that led for him to led him to be cast as Mr. Potter. But no, uh, Adam Fox, the ringleader of the plot to kidnap, try, convict, and then murder Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, was sentenced today. Uh, Adam Fox, along with... uh, Brandon Caserta and Barry Croft, Daniel Harris, four absolutely losers, murderous shitheads, white supremacists, fascists, maggots. Well, Adam Fox concocted the story of, or, or the plot, the scheme, to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. And ultimately murder her. They did. They they uh, cased her vacation home. And uh, came up with their came up with their plan. Remember, this is this is this happened long about the time of the uh, COVID lockdown, such as it was, uh, when a whole bunch of Michiganders. Uh, marched up and down and went and carried guns to the state house in East Lansing and uh, hollered about how they needed to mow their snow because freedom. Uh, Adam Fox was convicted. He was sentenced today. He could have and should have gotten life in prison. Instead, he uh, got 16 years. So what? He'll serve a day and a half. I don't. I, I don't. I honestly don't know. His pettifogger said that uh, he was an unemployed vacuum repairman who was venting his frustrations on social media, but abiding by the law of the state of Michigan. He's not the leader of a multi-state army of domestic terrorists. Now, the assistant U.S. attorney for that district of Michigan said uh, Adam Fox was, in fact, a willing and able operations leader. There was no, this was no run-of-the-mill kidnapping plot. He targeted not just any victim, but an official victim, and not just any official, but the head of a state. He was no follower. He was an active recruiter and prime mover. Uh, Barry Croft Jr. will be sentenced tomorrow. Among other things, uh, Croft was skilled in bomb making. Fox, on the other hand, was the driving force urging their recruits to take up arms and kidnap the governor and kill those who stood in their way. So the thing, the, the entire sentencing argument was heard by U.S. District Judge Robert Jonker in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Not exactly a hotbed of 
liberalism. Robert James Jonker is uh, 62 years old. Uh, he was, an, he was, of course, appointed by W. And uh, that's why he's there. So it's no real surprise that uh, an insurrectionist ass got a got a well got a lighter sentence than he damned well deserved. He mostly agreed with what the uh, government argued that Fox led the group that the kidnap plot was a real thing that had a purpose and target and a deadline and that in fact they were not entrapped by the government but when uh, when it came right down to it W appointee Jonker just couldn't find it in his heart to put a young man away for lies in the federal system. So, uh, if he behaves himself, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be folded into the arms of the Aryan Brotherhood or whatever uh, white nationalist identitarian uh, filthy gang exists in the whatever prison he's sent to. And if he if he keeps his head down and well uh, he could get what's defined as a few years trimmed off of his sentence. Problem with that though is that since he's not doing life, he's going to come out more radicalized than he, he even is going in. Fox didn't even speak at his own sentencing. Instead, he let his mama uh, plead for lenience with the judge. I want you to know him. Now, this is a guy who wanted to murder the governor of Michigan because she was trying to p protect the health and well-being of everybody in the state. So Mother Fox said, I want you to know him for the man that he truly is. Not the counterfeit version portrayed to you by the federal government and media. You know, the minute I saw a counterfeit version, if I'd been Judge Jonker, I would have just folded that little letter up into a paper airplane and right out the window. Counterfeit. I failed as a loving and nurturing mother, but succeeded as an emotionally and sometimes physically abusive one instead. You know, Fox's mama said by letter. Of course, she's not charged with anything. She went on to say that he was rejected by her, his father, and his grandfather. And went on to say, I believe it was this void that created a lifelong need to belong and fit in. He's not a militia leader. 
He's a wounded and lonely person, just longing for friends. He only wanted to see the good in people, you know, except for the governor of Michigan, whom he wanted to fucking kill. His co-conspirators testified against him. Uh, Ty Garbin, one of his co-conspirators, is walking the streets free after two and a half years in prison. Caleb Franks got a four-year sentence. He's not out yet. Three other members of the paramilitary group that apparently Mother Fox didn't think that he belonged to, um, well, they uh, got sentenced in state court from somewhere between somewhere between seven to twelve years. Um, Five more still await trial in Antrim County, Michigan. That's where Gretchen Whitmer's vacation home is, where they plan to attack her and and uh, kidnap her and try her and again murder her. So. Uh, yeah. Well. Along the way, they the FBI tricked us. I, I'm hard-pressed to figure out how the FBI could have tricked them without them wanting to do some pretty evil shit in the first place. You know, like wanting to murder the governor of Michigan. Isn't it interesting that you never hear plots from lefty liberals seeking to kidnap and murder maybe Ron Monkey up DeClantis or Greg Asbot? Well, it's not who we are. No, we're the we're the nice ones. We'll we'll hold candlelight vigils, though. But my God, they will they 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 will they will damn sure come for a Democratic governor, especially the one who ha- the one who has the unmitigated audacity to be intelligent, determined, capable, and most of all, a woman. Well, goodbye, Mr. Fox. Maybe he won't behave in prison. Maybe he'll get to do the whole 16 years. That would mean uh, he gets out uh, in what? Uh, well, let's say 23, 2039. Yeah. Uh, Okie doke. Here's hoping he does it all. We closed the program yesterday with some uh, breaking news on George Santos. Uh, well, we found out he never went to Baruch College. We found out he never went to NYU. We found out he never worked for Goldman Sachs. We found out he never worked for Citicorp or some whatever. And... Uh, 
it's pretty much a sure thing now that no. He, uh, not Jewish. This is one of the better stupidities I've heard in recent time. Um, he said he's not a Jew. Or as uh, Brother Deacon Asa expects me to say, and Lewis Black got it, out, got it all started. Uh, a Jew. Yeah. No, he's not one of those. No, he's, uh, according to what he told the New York Post, uh, I never claimed to be Jewish. Of course, on his website, for the campaign, he said that his mother was Jewish and his grandparents escaped the Nazis during World War II. He went on to say, Santos did, um, I'm Catholic, which is going to be... With some limit, a lot, with some fairly seriously limited exceptions, uh, that's going to be a little difficult because he's gay, or at least he says he's gay. Um, no word yet. I haven't haven't received an email from the uh, gay agenda or the LGBTQQQIA plus email list as to whether or not he is being uh, accepted as such. Um, now he said, I'm Catholic. Um, George, you do know that Holy Mother Church hates your fucking guts, don't you, hon? Because, well, they love, they, they, they hate the sin, but they love the sinner. Um, I'm Catholic, he said, because I learned my maternal family had a Jewish background. I said I was Jewish. That's spelled J-E-W hyphen I-S-H. Still not entirely certain on what the parameters are for claiming one's Jewishness. I mean, does that bring in, I mean, not prayer meeting Wednesday or anything, but does that, does that encompass all uh, the weirdo Christians who drive around with bumper stickers on their car that says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter? And just as a reminder, he said, uh, I didn't graduate from any institution of higher learning. No. My sins here are embellishing my resume. I'm sorry. Well, you know, George, go, uh, go to Mother Church somewhere. Gargle with some holy water. And uh, do some rosaries or something, hon. Yeah, Okay. But still, he's going to, uh, he's going to, uh, take his seat in the Congress of the United States. Uh, I saw some rumblings that uh, he might be able to be prosecutable for wire fraud or some such. I don't know. But... Uh, the uh, the Jewish Republican Caucus did say, well, he's not. He can't play in any of our reindeer games. Jewish Republican Caucus. I, I think they can. They can. They can. They can probably hold a brunch in a in a in a phone booth, can't they? 
by the way, our buddy Steve in New York is uh, uh, away from New York, out in uh, Ottawa. I hope your I hope your time away is good, uh, Steve. And I don't think he'll mind me saying so. Steve got mugged a few nights back on the train. Uh, some kids uh, stole his iPad from him and left him with a nasty shiner. Glad you're still alive, Steve. Really glad. Uh, as to George Santos, Steve says, uh, uh, his real name is George Glass and he was Jan Brady's boyfriend. Sure, Jan. <laughs> it's okay, that's a... That's a cowbell. Hold on. Let me get the real cowbell. The other cowbell just seems to lack the moral heft. Uh, Santos is gay, says Lee in New York. Uh, he is probably elated, ecstatic, and overjoyed and getting elected. Oh, wait. Not that meaning of gay? No, not that meaning of gay. But you get a small cowbell for that, Lee. Um... Uh, Matt in San Francisco. The gay agenda? Uh, the only thing I see on the agenda is brunch. Oh, I, uh, hmm. Nice brunch would be... Oh, yeah. A little sparkling cider. Maybe some, uh, French, uh, brioche French toast. With real maple syrup. Lots of freshly churned butter. <sighs> Yum. Uh, Ralph says, oh no, hugs to Steve. Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of hugs going out to Steve. It turns out this is a uh, heck of a Titanic Tuesday. Busy, busy, busy. And I tell you what, it's it. I've been on the Donald Trump mailing list for a lot of years now, but I have never seen an, a, a, such a flurry of fundraising emails as I'm seeing right now. Be a VIP at my rally. I have a very urgent message. This is urgent, friend. I wouldn't ask if it wasn't. <laughs> sure you wouldn't. Right. Yeah, meanwhile, on the, on the topic of being Jew-ish, Ron and Raleigh asks, I wonder if Mr. Santos is Jew-ish. Does that mean that Candace and The are black-ish? Just asking for an ethnically challenged friend. <laughs> No, I think they're Nazi-ish. No, 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 they're not Nazi. They're Nazis. They're just Nazis, Ron. Plain and simple. And I guess the judge in Maricopa County did what he did because, well, uh, Carrie Lake went and pissed and moaned on that 
tawdry little podcast that's run by the, the Stevie Three Shirts, the guy who looks like rancid hot dog water smells. This is also why she's now calling for sanctions on you. You've contested this election in really a very well, tightly argued case, which I think has huge grounds for appeal, and they took out the signature verification, which is probably the biggest aspect of it. She's calling now for sanctions on you personally, right, to, to shut down your yeah. voice? I'm just looking through. Uh, it's almost comical. I mean, I, I, if I didn't laugh, I'd probably pull my hair out because of the insanity of what they did I'll on Election it, honey, Day to sabotage our sacred vote. And now they're trying to sanction me to pay for their lawyers. This is outrageous. The, the judge, by the mere fact that he allowed this case to go forward, he looked at our lawsuit, he allowed two of the counts to go forward, shows that it had merit. Hobbs has absolutely no respect for the law. I can't even believe that she didn't recuse herself from this uh, botched election. And I now see why. She didn't even campaign. She didn't debate. She hid from people, hid in her basement, had no policy because she knew that she could rig the election and walk into office. And I'm telling you what, Steve, if we don't get serious about turning our elections around and restoring order and reforming them, we're not going to have a country much longer. You said we're 45 seconds to midnight. When it comes to our country, that's exactly where we are if we have rigged elections. And the fact that they want to say I had no merit with this lawsuit. I am standing up for the people of this state, the people who were done wrong on Election Day and the millions of people who. Live yeah, you know, the people who voted for her and not Katie Hobbs, because it's not possible in Carrie Lake world that maybe she actually fucking lost. No consequences. Live outside of Maricopa County whose vote was watered down by this bogus election in Maricopa County. The people of Arizona want me to stand up for them and get some answers as to what happened in our election. We really should have our elected officials doing that. Where is the governor? Why is he not standing up? Where are all these elected officials? Why are they not standing up to the way these elections are run, where they're changing the ballot on election day to sabotage our vote? Yeah. It's outrageous. Well, and I won't Maricopa, stop if they think this Maricopa will make me stop. They're wrong. Yeah, so she's just going to keep it. I don't know. I, I don't know, Carrie. Maybe you could maybe concoct a plot to kidnap Katie Hobbs and try her. And you know, what, I mean, sounds like where you're headed next. So, in other words, she's going to keep on doing it. And I'm liking more and more, at least the value of my bet, that come 2024, she's the Republican nominee for Senate in Arizona, Stan, facing off against Curtsy and Kirsten Cinema and Ruben Gallego. Uh, uh, it's going to be a... It's going to be a ride, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and here's... This is just another sign of the apocalypse. From over at Salon, you know, at the end of every year, we have the year-end wrap-up. Things. Uh, in fact, over, over the holiday weekend, I read Dave Barry's This Was the Year That Was, and it was grimly hilarious as it always is 
But now a new thing has entered the zeitgeist. Like I said, over at Salon, Kelly McClure has published a piece. It's the year-end Worst of Marjorie Taylor Greene 2022 article. And I guess there's going to be one in 2023? 2024? Until she's just freaking gone. Well, Ms. Ms. McClure writes, After nearly a full calendar year following Green's career as an especially aggressive Republican member of Congress from Georgia and the conservative movement's biggest star, other than a guy named Donald something or other, I can say that my initial opinion of her has changed much. But I believe I've acquired some keener insight into where she's coming from and where she's likely headed. She adds, I write about culture and celebrities. I viewed Green through that lens as I watched her spend 2022 nuzzling up to the twice-impeached ex-president, attacking vulnerable people, encouraging violence, and dehumanizing the LGBTQ community at every opportunity. In other words, I know her as a villain. And as a lover of film, television, and literature, I also know that villains are often the most compelling, even irresistible characters. And then she does exactly what it is a law. This is that's the thing. This is almost every bit as long as Dave Barry's. This was the year that was piece that ran in the Washington Post. And it's absolutely stultifying. I'm not going to subject you to the all of it. Uh, let's see, uh, going back to her co- testimony on in, in April of 2022, uh, she, uh, she pissed off, and, and this, this takes some doing. She's a Republican who pissed off Bill, Bill Donahue of the Catholic League. Now, remember, Bill Donahue of the Catholic League is the sum total and entirety of the Catholic League. Uh, He said that she had slandered Catholics and Catholicism. She said nothing could be further from the truth, and he must apologize promptly and publicly for these words. It's the church leadership I was referring to when I invoked the devil. The bishops know that, but had their loyal lapdog pretend I was being disrespectful about the faith. And just so we're clear, bishops, when I said controlled by Satan, I wasn't talking about the Catholic Church. I was talking about you. Uh, I think I lost some... I lost a couple of IQ... Where'd they go? Kind of like losing a contact, you know. You lose IQ points when you read about marginal trailer queen, and they're devilishly hard to find and get back. And something else that uh, I ran across today, and it's right up there with the story we had yesterday. Remember Jamie Raskin? We played the audio where he said that uh, uh, the the Electoral College just really needs to go. 
about 10 years after we started saying that, maybe closer to 20. No, no, she actually wrote D-E-V-I-L, Ralphs. I added that. Believable, though, wasn't it? The devil! Well, I ran across uh, this article from Robert Reich. Oh, by the way, going back to George Santos, a question coming from Brother Deacon Asa. Why would that Republican, George Santos, why would that Republican jackass want to be known as a Jew when his comrades despise Jews? He's a terrible representative, representative of the good Portuguese people. You know, if I start trying to answer that, I'm going to get in trouble, so I'm just not going to try to answer that. Um... I don't know. Maybe it's like, you know, let's say you're uh, let's say you're running for office in Alabama and you're really a fan of the University of Southern California Trojans. But you say that you're a fan of the Crimson Tide. Lifelong fan of the Crimson Tide. Does that, does that help? Does that help, Brother Deacon? muted the mic there so I wouldn't agitate anybody with the sound of my water bottle. Now it'll probably fall over and make all kinds of racket. Old Catholic Bill Donahue, Scott in San Diego, says uh, he's so old school Catholic correct when he works out he sweats holy water. Yeah, no he doesn't. <laughs> God, he's a POS, Bill Donahue. A guy who organized a uh, threats against the life of a sculptor for making a chocolate Jesus. You know, complete with a chocolate dingus. Well, maybe if it had been white chocolate, yeah. But no, I, I, you know, we, we uh, yesterday we had the story of uh, Jamie Raskin talking about the need to be shed of the uh, Electoral College and then today I find a, uh, an op-ed piece by Robert Reich titled, The Memo That Broke American Politics. And it opens with this sentence. The corporate, I'll bet you, I'll bet you that, that, that this community being this community, that the minute I told you the title, The Memo That Broke American Politics, I'll bet you better than half, I'll bet you a, a, a strong majority, maybe even north of 90%, maybe even north of 99% of people who, members of this community, know exactly what Robert Reich is talking about. But, of course, we live in a bubble. So, uh, Robert Reich begins his article by saying, the corporate takeover of American politics started with a man and a memo you've probably never heard of. Do we all, do we all have it? Do, do we all know what he's writing about? Bingo! There's Jake in Columbus. The Powell Memo. The man that Robert Reich thinks no one's ever heard of is Lewis Powell. And the memo that he thinks... 
you've never heard of is the Powell Memo. And he gives the history of that noxious document. In 1971, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce asked Lewis Powell, a corporate attorney who would go on to become a Supreme Court justice, to draft a memo on the state of the country. And the memo argued that the American economic system was under broad attack from, you know, consumer consumers and labor and environmental groups. You know, commies! And as Robert Reich points out, in reality, these groups were doing nothing more than enforcing the implicit social contract that had emerged at the end of the Second World War. They wanted to ensure corporations were responsive to all their stakeholders, workers, consumers, and the environment, not just their shareholders. And he describes how the Powell Memo lit a fire under American business via the Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce did everything short of of, of, of plastering the Powell memo on men's room stalls, and as Robert Reich points out, it worked. And uh, Mr. Reich, former Labor Secretary Reich, says uh, it worked. I should know. I saw it happen with my own eyes. In 1976, I worked at the Federal Trade Commission. Jimmy Carter had appointed consumer advocates to battle big corporations that for years had been deluding or injuring consumers. Yet almost everything we initiated at the FTC was met by unexpectedly fierce political resistance from Congress. At one point, when we began examining advertising directed at children, Congress stopped funding the agency altogether, shutting it down for weeks. I was dumbfounded what had happened. In three words, the Powell Memo. It's worth reading this. You can see a copy of it over at Raw Story. Put another way, he continues, without Lewis Powell there would probably be no Citizens United, the case that threw out limits on corporate campaign spending as a violation of the free speech of corporations. He notes that lobbying is now a $3.7 billion industry. And he tries to he, he tries to uh, put forward a a little bit of hope, saying that people are pushing back. There's a uh, video that goes with it. The corporate takeover of American politics started with a man and a memo you probably never heard of. In 1971, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce asked Lewis Powell, a corporate attorney who'd go on to become a Supreme Court justice, to draft a memo on the state of the country. Incidentally, I will add that I've always thought that he got his Supreme Court seat specifically as a result of exactly that, the Powell memo. Note that, you know, he's a corporate lawyer. He's not a trial lawyer doesn't much know what goes on in court in courtrooms but got a black robe nonetheless Powell's memo argued that the American economic system was under broad attack from consumer labor and environmental groups 
In reality, these groups were doing nothing more than enforcing the implicit social contract that had emerged at the end of the Second World War. They wanted to ensure corporations were responsive to all their stakeholders, workers, consumers, and the environment, not just their shareholders. Powell and the Chamber saw it differently. In his memo, Powell urged businesses to mobilize for political combat and stressed that the critical ingredients for success were joint organizing and funding. The Chamber distributed the memo to leading CEOs in large businesses and trade associations, hoping to persuade them that big business could dominate American politics in ways not seen since the Gilded Age. And it worked. The Chamber's call for a business crusade birthed a new corporate political industry practically overnight. Tens of thousands of corporate lobbyists and political operatives descended on Washington and state capitals across the country. I should know. I saw it happen with my own eyes. I worked at the Federal Trade Commission. Jimmy Carter had appointed consumer advocates to battle big corporations that for years had been deluding or injuring consumers. Yet almost everything we initiated at the FTC was met by unexpectedly fierce political resistance from Congress. At one point, when we began examining advertising directed at children, Congress stopped funding the agency altogether. I was dumbfounded. What had happened? In three words, the Powell Memo. Lobbyists and their allies in Congress, and eventually the Reagan administration, worked to defang agencies like the FTC and to staff them with officials who would overlook corporate misbehavior. Their influence led the FTC to stop seriously enforcing antitrust laws, among other things, allowing massive corporations to merge and concentrate their power even further. Washington was transformed from a sleepy government town into a glittering center of corporate America, replete with elegant office buildings, fancy restaurants, and five-star hotels. Meanwhile, Justice Lewis Powell used the court to chip away at restrictions on corporate power in politics. His opinions in the 1970s and 80s laid the foundation for corporations to claim free speech rights in the form of financial contributions to political campaigns. Put another way, without Lewis Powell, there'd probably be no Citizens United, the case that threw out limits on corporate campaign spending as a violation of the free speech of corporations. These actions have transformed our political system. Corporate money supports platoons of lawyers, often outgunning any state or federal attorneys who dare stand in their way. Lobbying has become a $3.7 billion industry. Corporations regularly outspend labor unions and public interest groups during election years, and too many politicians in Washington represent the interests of corporations, not their constituents. As a result, corporate taxes have been cut, loopholes widened, and regulations gutted. Corporate consolidation has also given companies unprecedented market power, allowing them to raise prices on everything from baby formula to gasoline. Their profits have jumped into the stratosphere, the highest in 70 years. But despite the success of the Powell Memo, big business has not yet won. The people are beginning to fight back. First, antitrust is making a comeback. Both at the Federal Trade Commission and the Justice Department, we're seeing a new willingness to take on corporate power. Second, working people are standing up. Across the country, workers are unionizing at a faster rate than we've seen in decades, including at some of the biggest corporations in the world. And they're winning. Third, campaign finance reform is within reach. 
Millions of Americans are intent on limiting corporate money and politics, and politicians are starting to listen. All of these tell me that now is our best opportunity in decades to take on corporate power at the ballot box, in the workplace, and in Washington. Let's get it done. Nice piece of audio. And and really, uh, while, as Flavio says, who doesn't know about that memo? Again, we live in a bubble, Flavio. We know about it because we pay attention. Most any uh, listener to progressive talk, uh, progressive content, video, what have you, probably know about the Powell memo. But that still leaves like 99.9% of the American people who don't. That's probably overstating the case, but it, it, it's uh, how the corporate takeover of American politics. Uh, Robert Reich, uh, you can find the video on YouTube, uh, how, the, how the Corporate Takeover of American Politics Began by Robert Reich. Uh, maybe share it around in case people haven't seen it, haven't heard of it. Then again, there's no explaining that that element of the American body politic which somehow thinks that the things that were embodied in the Powell memo inure to their benefits when they very clearly do not. Uh, wasn't Powell picked, Scott in San Diego asks, Scott there, still at the home. Uh, wasn't Powell picked after Nixon's nomination of Hainsworth and Carswell went down in flames? I think you're right. Uh, probably need to ask, uh, ask Mr. Google about it. But, uh, full service program here. And here's the funny thing. Um, He was on the court from 1972 to 1987, so he's a Nixon appointee. He filled the seat that was vacated by Hugo Black uh, he had been president of the American Bar Association and this will this will make some hair fall out he was actually a registered Democrat I think when Nixon went for went to Powell I think that's that period of time where he first uh, uh, checked in with Senator Robert C. Byrd and said, Well, Bob, how would you like to be a Supreme Court justice? And Bob Byrd turned him down. And then he went with Lewis Powell. Shortly after Lewis Powell had absolutely roadmapped the way forward, To make sure that, uh, you know, all those consumers and citizens and 
tree huggers and 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 uh, trade unionists didn't get all uppity. He was an intel officer for the uh, Army Air Force during World War II because he couldn't get into the Navy because of his poor eyesight. Um, The skills he developed would, I think it is safe to say, serve him well. And uh, served in government in his uh, in his natal state of old Virginia. And the man who commissioned him to write this nefarious memo was Eugene B. Sidner Jr., who was education director at the Chamber of Commerce. The original title of the Powell memo was Attack on the American Free Enterprise System. And it was specifically designed as a screed against the New Deal and tarring the New Deal as communism. Part of the reason that he wrote it was because he absolutely despised Ralph Nader because of what Ralph Nader did in 1965 relative to General Motors, the book Unsafe at Any Speed, and got the consumer movement going. And in case you were wondering just what kind of corporate lawyer Lewis Powell was, well, he was counsel for the Philip Morris Corporation from 1964 until he got his appointment to the court. And there at the Supreme Court, he was a tireless champion of the tobacco industry. You know, his his tomb, his gravestone, should probably be covered in tobacco juice or just pelted with little wads of snuff. We know now just exactly how much the tobacco companies knew about how deadly and dangerous their products were and are. But that didn't matter to Lewis Powell because the checks were clearing. And Lewis Powell knew or should have known Everything the tobacco companies knew, did know about the deadly nature of, the cancerous nature of tobacco. But he was right there beside the tobacco companies as they railed against the science that smoking and cancer were inextricably linked. And what did he use? You know, Robert Reich points out, 
you don't get the Citizens United decision without Lewis Powell? Well, Lewis Powell said that when news organizations didn't take seriously the tobacco companies' claims that the science was bullshit and their their products didn't cause cancer, Lewis Powell said that violated the tobacco companies' First Amendment rights. How about that? And so his dead hand reaches into modern living society even as we speak. His arguments about free speech can be freely transferred over to, say, some shitty web designer in Colorado who says her First Amendment rights are being violated if she has to do business with the homos. In a way, you don't even... The, 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 the tentacles of the Powell memo go everywhere in American life, especially in the rise of the so-called conservative movement. Because think tanks, and it's all tax-free, hallelujah, think tanks were uh, launched and chartered by American business, and they poured oodles of money into them to poison the American mind with, con with conservative pro-corporatist principles. And in his early days, it was think tank money that kept a younger Rush Limbaugh afloat. Well, talent on loan from God, my friends! Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe he and Lou can share a pineapple or two together in hell. And once he was on the court, he was there for 15 years. And guess who else helped convince Lewis Powell to take a seat on the Supreme Court? Because he was kind of iffy about it. That's right. The guy with the pipe. John Mitchell. Who would later go to prison for his role in Watergate. One of the reasons Powell didn't want to go onto the court was because he was making a shit ton of money as corporate counsel for the tobacco industry. And so, on the same day, October 21st, 1971, Richard Nixon nominated Lewis Powell and William Rehnquist to the Supreme Court. A twofer. Powell got Hugo Black's seat. He was confirmed 89 to 1. And, uh, well, William Rehnquist was confirmed as well and would eventually be the, after Warren Burger, would be named the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court 
and for a significant portion of his tenure on the court, would be whacked out of his minds on dope. Mind on dope. It could truly be said of William Rehnquist. What are you people? On dope? Yes, as a matter of fact, he was. And we're not talking about something as innocent as cannabis. We're talking about whacked out of his mind on opioids. As I've said before, every case in which he was a deciding vote should probably be revisited. If for nothing else, nothing other than the sake of, well, uh, history. And he went on to do other uh, other dirty business. First National Bank of Boston versus Bellotti, 1978. Well, that overturned a Massachusetts law that said corporations couldn't give money uh, to referendum campaigns that weren't directly related to their business. Nope. And... Of course, in 1986, when the court was evenly decided, or evenly divided, I should say, when the court was evenly divided over a Georgia sodomy statute, you know, that applied to married heterosexual couples, too, the infamous Bowers versus Hardwick, Lewis Powell, Lewis Powell swung the case so that Bowers versus Hardwick would remain on the books and gay people could continue to be tortured by the government, by the government of states and the federal government for simply being gay. And if you want, if you want some high or low, depending on how you view it, comedy, this we now know that during the um, during the deliberations over Bowers versus Hardwick well Lewis Powell told people that he was quite certain that he had never even met a homosexual But he didn't care much for the length of the prison sentences. Now here's the hilarious part, if hilarious is the word we can use for it. One of Lewis's, one of Lewis Powell's own clerks. was a closeted gay man. Interestingly, another of his clerks, Michael W. Mossman, implored Powell to uphold the sodomy ban in Georgia. I wonder how those two clerks got along. 
He lived for a nice long time, Lewis Powell did. He quit the court in 1990. He said, I think I made a mistake in the Hardwick case. And curiously enough, um, according to people who studied his hiring practices, the man who claimed he had never met a homosexual hired more gay law clerks than any other justice. And in fact, Paul M. Smith, who crafted the winning argument overturning the Bowers decision with uh, Lawrence versus Texas, uh, Paul M. Smith was the clerk, the former clerk for Justice Powell. Meanwhile, Michael Mossman, Michael Mossman uh, had a, has had a successful career in the law. Remember, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. once declared, it is possible to live greatly in the law, while he snorted another rail of coke off his desk. Uh, Michael Mossman is from the Willamette Valley of Oregon, born there in 1956. And he's a senior United States District Judge for the District of Oregon. Um, even served on the FISA court for seven years. Served as U.S. Attorney for the um, District of Oregon. And of course, he was succeeded. He was appointed to his seat by uh, none other than W, another W appointee. Isn't it interesting how the tentacles spread out further and further into the into the future? He was confirmed, Mossman was, he was confirmed as a, a uh, federal district judge. Um, and interestingly... Um, he, uh, one of his most recent and infamous decisions was to uh, dismiss a lawsuit that challenged the rules of the Miss United States of America pageant. And agree with the pageant that contestants therein must be a quote-unquote natural female whatever the fuck that means. And, of course, he's a, uh, a member of the uh, LSD church, LDS church. Hey, thank you so much, Christopher. Christopher, that's really kind. Thank you. We were at 1430 to start the program. 
And uh, uh, Christopher says, great show today, Robin. Thank you for being there. Well, gosh, Christopher, that's, that is just so kind. So we are now down to 1420 in our desperate attempt to keep the program going into 2023. Thank you so much. I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, uh, and uh, Ken, uh, right on Christopher's heels, says, Remind us of how deep the hole is, Miss Robin. I want to toss some coin into the felt-lined brass plate. Well, that's tomorrow. The deacons are it's just only Tuesday. But thank you for asking, Ken. Uh, we're at 1420. 1420 to finish the... Uh, Finish the month of December and finish the finish 2022, and make sure that there's a horn going into 2023. Thank you, Ken. Thank you so very much. Um, yeah, I think I said earlier we need to do uh, $357 a night between now and Friday. So thank you for getting us started, Christopher, and thanks for being there and being willing, Ken. And we are into the second hour of the program. Uh, if you've got something on your mind you'd like to talk about, well, you're welcome to jump into the conversation. Uh, let's see, I probably need to plug up the stress line here gets a little complicated. Oh, yeah, I needed to plug up the stress line already. It was down to 22%. But the iPad is fully charged. So that, you know, this iPad's kind of long in the tooth now, so it doesn't hold a charge for too terribly long. I try to make sure that it's uh, fully charged at the beginning of every program. Oh, let's see. Uh, what else? I, I didn't mean for that to be a long digression into how Lewis Powell's dead hand continues to pull strings to this very day. And, of course, Lawrence versus Texas was, was decided in 2003. And Clarence Pubes on the Coke can. Fappy Thomas was pissed about it then. And he remains pissed about it to this day. His concurrence in Dobbs said that he wants a case to come back before the court so that, by God, that, 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 that good, upstanding, God-fearing Christian Americans can start grinding gay people beneath their heels again and overturn, overturn. Lawrence versus Texas and go back to the horrifying days of things like Bowers versus Hardwick. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't I don't think that's what he meant, Ron and Raleigh, but kind of know this and I kind of know the sensation uh, no coming in from uh, Kim in New York City hope you're warm and comfy Kim hi I hope you had a lovely Christmas Kim says 
whole new batch of January 6th interviews were released, including more Cassidy Hutchinson, which appears to implicate Mark Meadows with requesting classified documents and taking some home prior to Biden's inauguration. Oh, dear. I, 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 it's kind of unfair to say it, but um, anybody surprised? Uh, Kim sent me a Twitter link, and for some reason, Twitter doesn't work real good on uh, on the iPad. Odd. One would think it, it would, but we can always uh, always check the phone. Huh. Um, here's what Hutchinson said about Meadows burning papers in his White House fireplace, including two to four times after meeting with Representative Perry. Let's see here. Um, Ms. Hutchinson said, I could just, I remember thinking back like it wasn't like I saw him do it daily. I don't remember if there were two weeks. Maybe that one time had passed where he hadn't or I hadn't seen him do it. But roughly a dozen times I remember seeing him, and it was when we would have the GSA, General Services Administrative Staff, come light, light it first thing in the morning. And then they had logs next to his fireplace and his closet, too. So throughout the day, he would put more logs in the, fire, in the fireplace to keep it burning throughout the day. And I recall roughly a dozen times where he would take the, I don't know the formal name for what it's called that covers the fireplace, but take that off and throw a few more pieces of paper with, in with it when he put more logs on the fireplace. God, they're... And she went on to say, he was in meetings all day long. So it was after meetings. I don't know specific documents. I know maybe three or four times, between two and four times. He had Mr. Perry in his office right before. Uh, question uh, from Liz Cheney. Do you know what Mr. Perry was talking to him about? Ms. Hutchinson, election issues. Ms. Cheney, anything more specific than that? Ms. Hutchinson, the vice president's role on January 6th. I'm trying to think the first time Mr. Perry was at the White House with all this. Mid-December, I believe. Mr. Perry started coming to meet with Mr. Meadows about what he believed... It, Etc., etc., etc. Thank you for that, Kim. I appreciate that. And uh, maybe that can lead to some, oh, I don't know, uh, obstruction of justice uh, or destruction of official documents charges. I know it's never going to happen, but you can't blame a girl for hoping. Um, they really would like to see some of these assholes wind up in Florence, Colorado at the Supermax. You know, there with the blind sheik and Unabomber. Um... Cassidy Hutchinson and Meadows. Flavio writes, yeah, we're about as surprised as we're surprised George Santos got Russian oligarch money. Not. So there's a link to the Daily Beast. Headline, Russian oligarch's cousin funneled, uh, funneled cash to New York politician Andrew Intrader, money manager to Russian Viktor Wexelberg, 
gave $56,100 to committees tied to Representative-elect George DeVolder Santos, who called Ukraine totalitarian. And remember, Santos won by being a maggot extraordinaire. He described himself as uh, a walking, living, breathing contradiction. A gay Latino millennial born in New York City who's also a fervent devotee of ex-president Donald Trump. And uh, he spent most of his time, by the way, you'll hear of him referred to as George Santos, but most of his time he spent referring to himself as George DeVolder. And, uh, you know, the Daily Beast are saying uh, uh, his, business, his professional career included a stint as regional director at an alleged Ponzi scheme. And uh, then earlier this year, talking about Ukraine, he said, It's not like Ukraine is a great democracy. It's a totalitarian regime. They're not a great bastion of freedom. And then went on to say that uh, Ukraine welcomed the Russians into their provinces. Y'all, come on now. Yeah, sure. And, well, the reason he's saying that is, well, there's 56,100 reasons. And he went on to say uh, later, Joe Biden's willing to start a war in Eastern Europe and send American soldiers to a deadly combat zone to protect Ukraine's border, but fails miserably to protect the American southern border. This administration is a colossal failure, top to bottom. No exceptions. <sighs> maybe he's Maybe he's Russian... Ish. And there's not a damn thing we can do about it, and that really pisses me off. Oof. And by the way, there's a uh, story, ran across it earlier today at Alternet. Um, yesterday, former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen showed up and uh, on on his his podcast to talk a little bit about Nitwit Nero's NFT trading card hustle pretty interesting really he said among other things that uh, it's an absolute scam. First of all, the funniest part of it is in his own words, he turned around, and in his own words, I'm talking about Donald, he turned around and claimed that these are all depictions of his career and his life. Now, like I've said on television, I've known Donald for many, many years, for almost a decade and a half, and I can assure you he's never been a cowboy. I don't think Donald's ever sat on a horse in his own life. He sure hasn't been an astronaut, nor he's never been a boxer, never been a superhero. I mean, that's the funny thing. Unless we, when he was a kid, they got him in costume to go around his queen's neighborhood in order to pick up pick up some candy. Not a superhero shooting lasers out of his eyes. The funny thing is, the lasers out of the eye part is is especially hilarious, simply because whoever designed those 
goofy pieces of digital crap, was actually responding to the dark Brandon phenomenon out there on the interweb tubes. Now, over on Reddit, dark Brandon is its own subreddit. And most, many, most, if not all, of the images of President Biden uh, show him shooting lasers out of his eyes. But uh, Michael Cohen said, this is in his mind how he sees himself in all these memorable types of roles, you know, cowboys and astronauts and superheroes and whatnot. Uh, adding, it's truly amazing that anybody would actually believe what Donald believes about himself. And then added that none of the art on the uh, NFT trading cards actually belongs to Nitwit Nero. And um, well, I guess I guess he boosted it. Yeah, Flavio, I know, I know. Uh, Flavio says. Uh, Maybe if you'd taken some of that sweet RT coin, the horn wouldn't have to beg. Sarcasm. But like Cassidy, you like to pass the mirror test every morning. Well, yeah, I guess I do. Oh, um, and speaking of every morning, speaking of every morning, um, I don't think it's going to affect the program, but I've got a, uh, uh, I've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow morning late. Um, late tomorrow morning, that is. And I should be back in plenty of time to uh, be here, but just uh, if anything goes sideways, you'll know why. Um. Oh, and Jeremy adds, if you reverse search most of the uh, phone NFTs, phony NFTs, they trace back to small clothing companies. Yeah, they're completely stolen. Well, he's been stealing music for years, and nobody seems to be able to do much about that. Uh, Lee pointing out, Nitwit Nero never sat on a horse, and all horses are grateful for the fact. Yes, they are, Lee. Could you, could you, if if you were to try to get Nitwit Nero on a horse, could you use any any breed smaller than a Clydesdale or a Percheron or uh, or one of those? great big humongous Belgian draft horses and those would probably be hard hard pressed to carry him Trump as cowboy and astronaut Scott says I've seen those rides at the dime store a roll of quarters and little Don can ride all day yeah as the uh, great Christmas movie Die Hard puts it yippee ki motherfucker and so we are at the halfway point of the program, and Ken did help out indeed. Uh, Ken's got a challenge on the table, uh, which it would be lovely if it could be met. Um, Ken's got 50 bucks he wants to kick in, uh, but if somebody else will kick in 50 more, uh, he'll turn it into 100. So that's a chance to get it, knock us down to uh, 14, 13, 20. Um, down to twelve seventy, and that would be really helpful if somebody would like to jump in and meet Ken's challenge. Thank you so much, Ken. That's so kind of you. And I wish this wasn't as desperate a downhill run as it is, but I knew this time of year was going to be brutal, 
and it has proven to be every every bit of it and more so because I really wasn't expecting to get down to four below zero before Christmas. And, well, I don't know. Someday we'll have $20,000 or something laying around and we'll put in a furnace or something. Not any time soon. Uh, uh, Ralph's confirming. Yeah, Robin, uh, Drunk stole the NFT art from Amazon and Shutterstock. Why am I not surprised? Wonder, wonder if like one of maybe Eric the Dumber did them on his uh, on his computer in a desperate attempt to be loved by Daddy. Thank you, Ralphs. Ralphs uh, just went halfway with Ken, so uh, we got twenty-five more dollars to go to meet Ken's challenge and get down to uh, twelve seventy. Thank you so much, Ralphs. Thank you. Let's run over to the stress line and see who we've got. Hey, welcome to the program. Uh, Robin, I've got a question. Are any able-bodied people listening? Um, I mean, I am. I'm pretty sure there are. Well, okay. Well, then I won't talk about y'all. Uh, <laughs> Quit that. The, uh... <laughs> no, I... Uh... Well, no, the line, the, the, the line about the line, the line about Greg Asbot was pretty damn good, Dave. I I appreciate the alternative cowbell too. That was that was kind of pretty. Um, that goes along with the other cowbells on my shelf, so you know that that'll have a brighter place. Absolutely, it's uh, it's just more melodic, isn't it? Yes, but like I said, it doesn't. Nice. It doesn't have. It doesn't have the moral and ethical heft of the original cowbell. Well, I'm when I lived in Houston, we used to take a cowbell to the Astros games, and whenever they would hit on, we'd ring the damn cowbell. But um, that that's uh, that was a long time ago. When they were in the Astrodome of all places. So, yeah, a place which no longer exists. But, uh, yeah, uh, about this uh, Bill Donahue fella, I think uh, he, uh, the first time I ever heard about him was when he got all pissy about Oglethorpe's Piss Christ um, many, many yeah. years ago. I th- but I, th- I, think he had, I think he had established himself in the consciousness before that, but that was his, uh, I don't know, that was his Sergeant Peppers. And, and, and he, uh, you know, uh, the legal department at the shop is going to have to send him a uh, cease and desist letter. Uh, because he's been jumping on these crosses for so long without proper uh, or, or professional instruction, he's not doing it safely, Rob. And that's the, that's the thing. I mean, he he purports to be you know a moral leader. Well, he's leading these youngsters into crucifying themselves in an improper manner. That just can't be had. Uh, 
But um, oh, is there anything I, OSHA I can do? No, I I have already checked with them. Since he doesn't work for us, uh, there's nothing. I, I I got no grounds for for a complaint. He would actually have to crucify himself in front of me before I could report him, um, which he hasn't done. Little slippery bastard. But uh, I was wondering, do you still have any contacts over at Horn Nutraceuticals? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty much mothballed, but they I can get a well, note through. No, but well, the, the the reason I'm asking is I was talking to the to the board last week, and we're thinking about forming a crucifixion laboratory, and we need some really good sharp scientific minds to come in. And I was thinking, now who could we get cheaply, and who would be available? And I was thinking those scientists down at Horn uh, Nutraceuticals might help, you know. But although we don't have enough room in the shop for the uh, for the Alabama Six clam tanks, well, I'm sorry, it just it, 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 that doesn't work. But uh, I, I I was talking to the board and they're, they're thinking about hiring them some uh, real fake real fake scientists. Uh, I don't know how they're going to improve the uh, crucifixion ex- experience this way, but they, they say that they're uh, that they've got to do some uh, field studies. I asked if it was tax deductible, and they said, "Oh yeah, as long as we, as long as we document everything and show that it's research, we can we can write all that off." So. I gave my approval. Sounds like a nice dodge. Well, it I, I would hope, and I, I I talked as I noted in my note earlier. I talked to Christine uh, last night. She caught the tail end of your program, and you were talking to Scott, and. Um, Got all excited. She said, "Now that I know how to how to tune in, I can listen regularly." So uh, we got it. We we got a new listener, Robin. I mean, she's listened to the program before, but only when I've been around her. So, well, uh, if you're listening, hey, this Christine, is big, this is a, this is a big step for her. Um, oh, I love that. She's. Uh, she got kind of ticked off at his sister uh, for leaving her in the hospital without saying a word or a by your leave uh, right before the storm hit last week. And um, that's been a, a thing over the last few days. But she's been, um, she's gone to voc rehab uh, with her um Voc Rehab Counselor at VA, and they're going to be making arrangements for her to work with a uh, organization that works with blind people, helping them learn to get around and things like that. And um, I told her, I said, well, when you get to the point where you can take a cab over here to my house, we'll, we'll celebrate. We'll call everybody we know and 
and uh, she's really excited. She had uh, she she's got things going where she wants them to go right now, but she doesn't uh, she doesn't get too far ahead of herself. But uh, it, it's amazing in the last week and a half or so. She's really been pushing herself, and, and that's the Christine I knew pre-stroke. Because she, she's now she's out there doing things for herself and uh, avoiding all this. Uh, you can't because you're blind and stuff, you know, which I never bought into to begin with. Right. Well, maybe it's it's it sounds. It, she has been on a hell of a journey, and it sounds like yep, she's really uh, turned a corner. Well, I will know. I will know t- uh, tonight after the program. Uh, I'll give her a call and see if she got dialed in right. Um, but uh, one of her goals is here here soon to uh, dial the stress line and give you a call from her blind without me being there. That's a good so, goal. That, 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 so if you, if you ever hear from Christine in the blind uh, and she's talking to you from her blind and I'm not there, gold met, you know, so uh, I, I just, I'm so proud of her, Robin. She has been going great guns for, for over a year now, ever since she got out of the coma. And there have been good days and bad days, mostly good. Uh, and she's just, I've never seen somebody so determined to get around on her own and do things on her own after having a setback like this. I, I've never I've never seen it before this close, you know, and I am just so proud of her. But uh, as you should yeah, be, she was she was glad to hear you and Scott talking, and she said said that um, she she thought the conversation was pretty funny, and she uh, I said, well, that's. You know, Scott, some of his humor should be outlawed, but then again, she goes, yeah, but you're the king of bad jokes. I said, true, but Scott makes me look like an amateur. So Yeah, Scott's a pro. Uh, and I, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this a lot longer than I've been alive, so uh, there is that. And, uh, I hope I hope you're doing well, Scott. All kidding aside, I mean, after all, uh, my niece just got her uh, LPN. Oh, congratulations! And, uh, and my uh, and her little boy, my my brother's grandson, was going around my sister's house on Christmas, pulling a toy sleigh, going. Ho, 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 all, all through the house, all day long. That's what the kid wanted to do on his Christmas, was was to pull a sleigh and, and, and go ho, 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 all day. 
which, you know, is pretty cool considering I have never heard the kid talk before. Um, he, um, but I'm glad everybody, uh, had a good Christmas and I had, uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you stayed warm, and I'm glad the power stayed on for you. Well, I decided that I am going to start a new tradition. My mother used to have slices of ham ready for us on Christmas Day because she didn't want to cook. Well, I went a little further than that, and I made a bunch of chili dogs for Christmas. And Robin, let me tell you, you've got your standing rib roast. I understand that's your tradition. And, and, well, it and hasn't been much of a tradition for the last couple of years. But, but you know, on, on your wish list, and I heard about that, uh, that guy buying up all the rib roast. What a pretty little pain he is. But, uh, The um, oh thing I, I'm making is uh, I take just some regular uh, chili sauce, some hot dog chili sauce, and I put a little uh, ancho chili powder in in it. Mix it up. Slap oh, it on I the thought dog. for a minute there you were on your way to anchovy, and I was gonna what. No, I love anchovies, but not on my hand, not on my hot dogs. There's a pizza called the Big Ugly from a place that no longer is in business, but it had hot Italian sausage. It had um, it had shrimp with uh, Cajun seasoning, uh, onions anchovies and it was all smothered in mozzarella and and with a with a marinara sauce and then it was thrown into the oven and came out bubbling hot and it was wonderful because I thought I would hate anchovies and the lady that owned the place opened the can up she was making a big ugly and um, I, uh, she gave me, uh, an anchovy filet and I tried it and it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. You can, well, no, no, a little salty fish are good. What, if, if you didn't know you were eating them, you wouldn't know they were there. They almost melt into the pie. So, yeah, that. But I'm not that ambitious, so chili dogs will have to do. I, you know, don't get don't, I I, no. I love me. I love me some chili dogs. But yeah, next time throw a little anchovy chili powder in. Oh chili Lord, chili yes, that'd be heavenly. Milk. Yeah. And whatever you do, do not, under any circumstances, buy that Hormel quill with beans for your. For your dog. No, no, no. If I'm a, no, 
if I make if I make chili sauce, it happens. No, I I won't buy the Hormel. I won't buy the Vietti. I make it. Oh. Oh, did you did you not did you not did you not know that West Virginians are positively militant about their hot dog sauce? No, I did not. Oh yeah, I mean you know down in Huntington. I I, I remember years and years and years ago, Dave. There was a study or a survey or you know one of those things that are put out as you know just bait for radio people. But it was like a compare. It was a comparison between. Two relatively similarly sized towns. One was Burlington, Vermont, and the other was Huntington, West Virginia. And Burlington had, I don't know, some sort of festival that you know made sense for it. And the the counterpart in Huntington was has a hot dog festival. I mean, but you know, I'm with I'm with the, the late great Anthony Bourdain on this. Who doesn't love tube shaped meat products? Meat in tube form. Exactly. Don't want to see them made. Don't look too closely. It's not made. And over there at uh, yeah, over there at my little uh, little general store that I love so much uh, on this side of the river, Swiftwater General Store. Uh, old Teddy would be so happy if he knew I was giving him uh, giving him free uh, free plugs. Uh, they use they use Boar's Head brand uh, hot dogs. And they're really good, and they, I've never they, had them. Oh, they're yeah. You know, they, oh, they're snappy. You know, you, you love a dog that's good and snappy. Um, and they make their own hot dog no, sauce, and they make their own homemade slaw. And it's it's not as good as my hot and spicy slaw, but it's a different animal. But no, I can get their dogs are good. They got a two hot dog special when they can get. You know what? You know what's gone missing here? I don't know if you know what these things are, Dave, but. Have you ever heard of the English bun? No. And Claire will be what? Uh, it, it's 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 a it's a hot dog bun, and it's got a split top and a smooth side. So unlike regular hot dog buns that have the one hinge, and invariably the hinge breaks. No, this is a hot dog, and and sometimes they're called New England style buns. Uh, are and, these the top splits we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 the top splits, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that way, you know, when you go to grill the bun, it's got a nice smooth side. You put it on one side, you grill it, it gets golden and crispy. You do it on the other side. You've just got a perfect little hot dog. Well, that would work good in a, in a bun steamer, too. Oh, yeah, but it's the smooth sides that just make it perfect for, you know, because I love a grilled hot dog bun. I'm just... I'm a weird. Um, and by the way, I need to. I need to. I, I hope. Um, I don't. I don't know if Kevin and Tracy are listening up in Massachusetts. But uh, Kevin, if you're listening and Tracy's not, please tell her I said get well soon. Because uh, I know. I know Tracy's been feeling kind of, kind of, kind of cronk. And uh, I. I don't think she even got to have a have proper Christmas dinner, and I. I hated that for her. Um, but I, I thought well, we I thought still it could, have about nine more days left. Oh, so. shut up! I know. I'm counting down. Let's see what. Yeah, let's go. Let's go ahead and establish that, Dave, then uh, put it in the memory bank and whatnot. Let's see. Okay, back up. December. Well, okay, let's get in. Fe- no, no, got to get out of Feb. No, not February. Damn it. Um. No. January sixth will be the end. 
I know, I know, but I don't want the beginning of Ramadan. I want the first day of spring. Oh, that'll be. Uh, I mean, I see, March twenty first. Well, that's what I thought, but March twenty first on my calendar doesn't say anything. But March twenty second says beginning of Ramadan. Well, you know, great, happy Ramadan next March. Uh, but I, I just need I, I got to have something to live for, namely the first day of spring. Yeah, we're, we're, I've been doing this twenty years. We we know how I am during January and February. Yes. Oh, and, and, and you're a very depressed girl. Yeah. I'm very what? You're a very depressed girl. And, yeah. Uh, that, this time of year. Yeah, it's just it, you got to get just got to get through. And I I could go off down on down down that rabbit hole too, but. Uh, um, Oh, I just noticed that St. Patrick's Day next year is on a Friday. God, I'm going to stay home and hide. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's no. Yeah, well, uh, I just want to make sure. Is it March 21st? Uh, first day of spring. March 20th. March twentieth. March twentieth. Yes. Why is that? Why is that not? Why is that not showing up on my iPhone calendar? Okay. Yeah, well, well, you can always make a note of it. Well, I think um, I March twentieth, y'all. And there's Lee uh, serving as the Horn ad hoc uh, uh, meteorological, climatological, astronomical research department. Monday, March twentieth. So. St. Patrick's Day, Friday the 17th, 18th, 19th, Monday the 20th, first day of spring, Ramadan 22nd. Now, if I happen to convert, well, see, between, the, if I happen to convert between now and then, well, at least I know when Ramadan starts. Yeah, uh, I uh, I went to school with a, oh, a young lady from Syria once who was observing the fast during Ramadan. And I asked her, I said, if I were a Muslim, would I be required to observe the fast? And she said, no, because of your health condition, you wouldn't be required to. But normally, if you're, if you can't observe the fast for health reasons, uh, normally people will give money to feed the poor. And you're still required to uh, attend the mosque and 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 uh, yeah. Go see, that's the thing. I'm not a I'm, I'm not a joiner. Nope. Yeah. Well, I, neither am I. But I I was curious about that, and and, and she. Uh, I also uh, had another class with her fiance at the time, a, a, a young man who was uh, he was a Lebanese gentleman who was in the Army ROTC uh, and his MOS was as a translator. So uh, I got to know them both pretty well and they were very nice people. But uh, these uh, these assholes like uh, any Republican, I mean, hell, 
the, the crowd going at the feet of uh, of Marjorie Trader Greenteeth. I mean, come on, that woman is flightier than uh, a, a, a a United chorus line. They're just, you know, you might ask her to step back because uh, to make sure that she doesn't get hit by the Jewish space lasers. Although. Or rounded up by the gazpacho. Oh, no, no. And another one that I was thinking about, um, you know, we get so caught up in the Jewish space lasers and the gazpacho police, uh, we we often forget about the uh, fake meat grown in peach tree dishes. Well, that and forget the reason for the cold, Robin, is is the space refrigerator that went along with the space wages oh. okay. about the same time and what is wrong with Georgia that, that's all I gotta ask uh, what in the hell is wrong with Georgia Maybe you can ask Mike Malloy. Maybe he'd be able to. Say, oh no, no! If you if you were if you were to well, I wouldn't want to ruin his little his little getaway. But if you were to um, ask Mike, well, he'd say Georgia's just Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. It's always been. There's always been a lottery. Lottery in June. Corn heavy soon. I don't know why that Shirley Jackson short story had such an impact on me, but. Maybe it's because they made it into a really bad movie and played it for us in ninth grade. Oh, it's been a lottery. Oh, by the way, I just you find out what the what the winner gets. And I I just uh, I just saw a little piece of breaking news Uh, this coming Friday, which will be the thirtieth day of December. See, you've got me. I'm, I'm already li- out there living in March now. Um, well, now you got to go. No, no, no. I got. I got to dial it all back. This this Friday, the 30th of December, as a sort of finger in the eye to the incoming house, who won't be able to do a goddamn thing about it. Uh, this 30, uh, this 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 Friday, the 30th of December, as a sort of uh, Happy New Year's gift to the country. Uh, the United States of America and I guess the world will finally see the tax returns of Nitwit Nero. Uh, that, according to a spokesman for the uh, spokesperson for the House Ways and Means Committee. Well, that that will make interesting reading. Hey, uh, and according say, to the according to the Reuters report. Um, a spokesperson for Trump declined to comment. This is because Nitwit Nero will throw a shit hemorrhage on his rickety falling down social media platform later if he hasn't already. I have some good news. Well, I spill, got my spill the tea. I got my award letter and my notice of my, my cost of living raise. My disability goes up by $108 a month starting on the 1st of January or on the 3rd of January. And, uh, Robin, 
this is two years straight where I've gotten more than a, a single digit percentage increase. And there have been many a year when I didn't get an increase at all because the people on disability have to pay for the government. You know, the pain is the point. Yeah. So anybody, anytime you hear uh, the Democrats don't care about the disabled, they don't care about this, they don't care about that, you throw that up, Tom. And let, let me tell you, Robin, that extra hundred bucks a month means I get to eat decent food. Exactly. Without having to worry about stretching it. I mean, come on, goddamn people. We're the richest country on earth and in the history of humanity. And we can't feed every man, woman, and child in this country. I have only one word to say to that. Bullshit. But here, here, okay. here, Dave. No, uh, it, but, I, I am now officially off my soapbox. No, that's fine. But, that's fine. But yeah, that that's my good news, and um, and uh, you know, we just have to keep fighting. I I know we're tired of hearing it with Nero. And, and the rest of these goons. But if they hadn't fucked up in the Congress, and especially in New York, and allowed Russian oligarch money to pay for Republicans, uh, we might actually have a functioning government in a few weeks. I mean... Might. We still have to fight, people. Sure. I mean, I'll make all. You you and I, Robin, will make jokes at their expense, whether they're in office or out of office. Doesn't matter to me. Um, But you know, the uh, the shit hemorrhages on the right. Look, if everything got all happy all of a sudden, Dave. This could turn into a, I don't know, a cooking show. It would still be fun. Oh, food, food porn with Robin. Yeah, that could work. Because, frankly, if, every, if, if, we, if we could somehow be rid of the plague of Republicans, the, it, and I don't think it would have to turn into a cooking show. Because just simply trying to keep track of the crap that still needs to be done would be a job in and of itself. Well, there's so much that needs fixed. There is so much. Oh, without a doubt. But I, I've got I've got my couple of projects, and and that's advocating for universal suffrage for American citizens. No questions and asked. Yes, that yeah. Means, that that means if you're an American citizen, you get to vote. Now, if you want to put a restriction on, uh, you have to be living in the district for 30 days to to vote at that polling place. Okay, I could see that. But in, uh, 
I believe it's uh, Vermont. They even allow, by state law, any any citizen living in Vermont who is incarcerated, whether in jail or in prison, gets to vote. And the thinking behind that is when they get out, and most of them will, they ought to have a right to to have a say in how the laws are made and what laws well, are made. And, and, you know, that's something that you find pretty well established and well expressed in the New England states. Some are better than others. I mean, you know, people in New Hampshire are quite often batshit crazy. Uh, but that's a broad, sweeping generalization. But democracy is experienced different, differently in a place like New Hampshire or Vermont or Maine, uh, Connecticut even. Uh, Massachusetts. Democracy is experienced differently there than it is elsewhere in the country because those are teeny tiny little states which are actually the kind of democracies that Madison was, and, and to a certain extent Hamilton, but mostly Madison, was envisioning. You know, where everybody participated, everybody had a voice, everybody had a say. Right. And of course, of course, when you get down into places like, you know, Virginia, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, 1780s, 1790s United States, uh, then you're, de- you know, then you're dealing with the aristocrats who are like, democracy? Fuck no! And of course, if you listen to the old, uh, uh, the old podcast by Dr. Bill, and I'm still working on, on a way to try to get Dr. Bill back on the air. You know, one of the things that he will tell you, you one of the things that he will tell you, and uh, democracy was breaking out all over. Democracy was breaking out all over, and that's why we had, and and that's why we had to have a constitutional convention because that shit was intolerable to the money. Which brings me to an email that our pal Cynthia in the Bay Area just sent. Uh, We are the richest country in the world, except for one thing. The vast bulk of the money is in the hands of a few filthy rich people who don't pay their fair share in taxes. You know, I pay taxes so the rich don't have to. And if it were up to me, I'd bring back that 91% or so top tax rate on the filthy rich, no excuses, no deductions, and no offshore sheltering, pay or go to jail, period. Yeah, the top marginal tax rate from a, a period in American history where there was more prosperity than any time up until the uh, prosperity of the Clinton years. Well, see, that was was also encouragement for the very wealthy to spread the wealth around. And lo and behold, it benefited them, and and they kept getting richer. Yeah, uh, this trickled-down bullshit that Reagan was and that the John Birch Society, may they all rot in hell, and on behalf of my beloved Indianapolis, I apologize for those Nazis ever forming in in my beloved city. Yeah, but it's kind of balanced um, out by the Vonnegut family. That's true, but that's only one family. And, and, and uh, Kurt Vonnegut, may he rest in peace, uh, was from the wealthier classes. He 
but during they lost their fortune during the depression. And I can take you to buildings that his father and grandfather designed. Designed, yeah. That are still standing. Uh, they were architects. Um, he uh, he was doing a book signing in one of the department stores downtown that his grandfather had designed. And only his friends and family were showing up to the signing. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, if, if people had only known then. Well, you know, a prophet is never, a prophet is never welcome in his own land. You know, something I think about from time to time about Vonnegut is this. How might the arc of his life been different if instead of being, you know, because he was a, he, he was a German uh, heritage, but how would the arc of his life been different if, as a member of the U.S. Army, he had been sent to the South Pacific instead of Europe? We might not have heard of him because uh, his experience in Germany as a POW after the Battle of Bulge, uh, his family spoke German at home. And so he was quite familiar with the language, and the Germans tapped him to to uh, to translate for them. And so he got a lot of help from some of the prisoners, thinking he was a collaborator. And he was like, no, uh, but I don't want there to be any confusion as to what they want. That way nobody gets shot for not knowing what the hell's going on, you know. Um, he was um, Slaughterhouse-Five is his classic, and it's based on his experiences as a POW who survived the bombing of Dresden, for Christ's sake, because he was being held as a prisoner in Dresden. And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, that alone, that, that experience alone should have uh, gotten him to a point where um, he was he was known and uh, he was uh, venerated. There is a law firm here in Indianapolis that in their in their uh, in their building where their main office is, they have the Kurt Vonnegut Museum. And I've never been down there. I want to go down there and see it, but it, it's in that building. I don't know how big it is. But I mean, Indiana has a has a long writing tradition. Um, the uh, where the main library for the Marion County Library is was donated on land that James Wickham Riley donated to the library for the building of the of the library, and um, it's a huge place. It's almost like a city block. It almost takes up an entire city block. And uh, then you have Ernie Pyle, 
with the famous war correspondent, um, which if you go to IU, there's a place called Pyle Hall that has his typewriter and some of his personal effects enshrined in, in the building. Um, and it's one of the few places where you can see a copy of the Declaration of Independence that was published on July 5th, 1776. Come in! Uh, hold on a second. Uh, Robin, I gotta go. I had a feeling. Somebody's at my door. All right. Take care, Dave. Bye now. Bye. Life sometimes intervenes. Um, I want to go back to the... And by the way, we still need $25 to match with Ralph's is 25 to match to Ken's 50 uh, which he will then turn into 100 bucks. So... Uh, that would make a that would make for a hundred and fifty dollar reduction in the fourteen hundred and twenty that we're trying to raise now get us down to twelve seventy and it's so badly needed i wish i wish i mean well please i don't want to go into particulars but it's needed uh, i wanted to go back to this unsigned opinion by the by our most puissant dread sovereign supreme catholic majesties on the court because as i mentioned um, gorsuch and katanji brown jackson found themselves unlikely in in unlikely agreement and uh, oddly enough neil gorsuch stepped outside of the uh, strictures of the weirdo majority and uh, it was kind of the, the, like I said the majority opinion was unsigned but the dissent that Gorsuch filed was pretty fiery courts should not be in the business of perpetuating administrative edicts designed for one emergency only because elected officials have failed to address a different emergency we're a court of law, not policymakers of last resort. Well, that's kind. That's kind of a big deal. Um, it was put in place in 2020, as we've noted, when Nitwit Nero decided that the best way to combat the COVID pandemic was to shit on brown people some more. And so two million people have been prevented from entering the country even after we started vaccinating people. And even though uh, many of them had legitimate asylum claims. A while back, a federal court in Washington, D.C. ordered the Biden administration to end the policy. Because that court found that the Nitwit Nero administration had fucked up from jump. And the thing is, while they pointed out that, uh, that, that the Biden administration is free to end the policy ahead of schedule, that doesn't mean 
that it necessarily would end the case. What a damn mess. But it is at least interesting that uh, Neil, Neil Gorsuch, along with Ketanji Brown-Jackson, both said this case has no business being before the court at all. Of course, the same was true of the, uh, of, of the stupid little bigot with her website company, but no. You can't get everything, right? Oh, and we haven't had a Miss Lindsay sighting in a while. Uh, it's a it's it's a heck of a thing. Uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger testifying to the January sixth committee. Faced some questions about Miss Lindsay back in November of 2020 when he tried to arm twist the uh, government of the state of Georgia to reject mail in votes. Well, what's interesting, uh, you know, and, and remember that was before Nitwit Nero called Raffensperger and said, Listen, I just need you to find 11,780 votes so I can win Georgia. Just find them. They're somewhere. Well, it turns out Brad Raffensperger told the January 6th committee that Miss Lindsay thought that maybe credit card companies would give Georgia some technological assistance to use with signature matching in Fulton County. And Miss Lindsay wanted to use signature matching technology from credit card companies on all 150,000 absentee ballots. Signature matching is such a pernicious means of voter suppression. Signatures change over time. God knows mine has. And I'm not, I'm not talking about anything in the last couple of years. I'm talking about over the course of my entire lifetime. I had a signature as soon as they taught me to, you know, write in cursive script. And then it got worse and worse and worse and worse until now it's pretty much just a line. No, really, it's a line. That's what most people do when they put the little thing in the chip reader and it comes up with a signature bar. The only thing the machine requires you to do is just draw just draw a snake. Just draw a straight line across the area where the X is. And you, oh, okay, that's your signature then. Okay, that's great. And talking to the January 6th committee, Brad Raffensperger said, you know, it made me a little uncomfortable. Because I don't know where this is going to lead. My concern was, would you be disenfranchising voters when the ballots had already been accepted by the county voting process? But the thing is, uh, he also went and testified, Raffensperger did, that he thought that uh, he felt like he was being threatened by Nitwit Nero. And in particular, um, Raffensperger said it was that he wanted to talk about Fulton County and their, you know, signature match. 
I thought he was really calling about, you know, I thought he was talking about the senatorial runoffs, just him being a U.S. senator, and I thought, well, if we're going to talk about Fulton County, I need to have, you know, somehow in the weeds, you know, I don't know how deep in the weeds he wanted to go. I just wanted to have, you know, additional people on that phone call, otherwise known as witnesses. Uh, question, I think you said this earlier, but Senator Graham is a, is a senator, a U.S. senator from South Carolina, not Georgia. So did he explain why he, as a senator from South Carolina, was calling about a Georgia election? No, said Raffensperger. I can, uh, yeah, there was so much misinformation about Georgia's signature match, and I believe he probably wondered if we even did signature match because of the misinformation. And I do believe that South Carolina lost the ability to do signature match due to an unfavorable court ruling. So he may have thought that we were positioned similar to South Carolina. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. Well, God knows the attempt has been made. Well, he thumbed his nose. Uh, he mentioned about credit card companies. He says, they get millions of signatures every day, and they run that through their machines. <laughs> Wait till Lindsay finds out. Like I said, you can just draw a line, and it's like, yeah, that's their signature. And Raffensperger said, I was just really just listening to what he was saying, because in effect, I guess he was, I'm trying to still in my mind collect what he was saying, that if you had this machine way of doing that, and Fulton County actually did have a way of, you know, running that through machines, they didn't just use it just didn't use it, to, then you could verify whether the signatures matched as the machines were reading that as you scanned it so you could go through all 150,000 absentee ballots very quickly using a machine process. And then really Gabriel Sterling did most of the talking on that call because then they talked about, you know, information. And I just, you know, was uncomfortable because I didn't know where this was going to lead and if they, in fact, once the ballots had been separated had been accepted and they'd been separated from the ballots and you know my concern was would you be disenfranchising voters when the ballots have already been accepted by the county process and so I told him we finished up the call and I said well let me talk to our general counsel who wasn't on the call and we'll get back to you and we this is probably the best line in the whole thing and uh, we just never got back to him For probably awfully good freaking reason. So, again, a member of the United States Senate was up to his little hobbit eyebrows. Short little fucker, Lindsey Graham. Uh, in uh, the conspiracy to defraud the entire United States of America. It would be awfully nice if uh, maybe a... Uh, court of competent jurisdiction could take note of that. And then there's a... We hadn't had a Miss Lindsay sighting in a while. And mercifully, we haven't had a Rudy, Rudy Giuliani sighting, but, well, it was Christmas. And Rudy Giuliani... Uh, fired up, hotted up the mic for his uncovering the truth and started it out with uh, some truly bizarre stuff. He's on video, he's in a Santa suit, and he said, uh, 
Yeah, ho, 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 ho. He was trying to ho, ho. I'm still, I'm still able to think in this Santa outfit. I don't know. I don't think it's affecting my thinking. Oh, I'm getting tired. It was all night. It was tough. And Rodolph kind of acted up a little. Great reindeer, but when you're as famous as he is, he thinks he's more famous than Santa Claus. You know, you'll go down in history thing. You know, he, he takes it seriously. These reindeer, you can't count on them. And members of the unions, what they mean. Now, I didn't say anything about unions, but... Rudy, along with his bosom buddy and guy that he put on a dress for, Nitwit Nero, they 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 need to be they need to be in a nice little um I know the term Scott used. Home. Right. Then there's D.L. Hughley. D.L. Hughley's uh, not mincing any words. He went on uh, his own um, talk show. And said, uh, espionage to sedition to, you know, tampering with elections. I mean, you name it. He's done it, he said, talking about Trump. I think he should be charged with manslaughter for that cop who died, even though it wasn't at that, he wasn't at that, it wasn't at that event. See, what they would do to us is call us co-conspirators, and everybody that was in it would go to jail. Everybody who was in it would go to jail, so now it should be the same thing. I think he's a fucking criminal. He's clearly guilty. He's clearly guilty. He's taking this country down a path that I don't know that it will ever recover from. And then went on to say, at the very least, he should never be allowed to hold office again. Adding, uh, well, we all saw what happened, and justice isn't about doing the thing we like. It's about doing what we believe is to be right. He should be disqualified from running again. Anybody who tries to overthrow the will of the people and have armed people rise up and use white nationalists and skinheads to affect the results he wanted, uh, he should automatically have been disbarred. Well, not disbarred. I mean, he's not a member of the bar. You can't disbar him, but he can be, he can be legally banned from ever running for office again. And then he would uh, challenge it. It would go to the Supreme Court, and who knows what our most puissant, dread sovereign, Supreme Catholic Majesties would say. And then, well, just sort of review, and um, you know our pal Darlene in Connecticut has from time to time referenced uh, the fact that she's a fan of Mary Trump's podcast. And, uh, well, she minced no words especially in her book, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. And uh, over at Newsmuck, some dude named Greg Kelly uh, was, was, I guess, put off by Mary Trump telling the truth. I also want to talk about Mary Trump for a moment. She is the niece of Donald Trump, and she's the all-star 
of MSNBC because she's a member of the Trump family who rags on Trump. Donald has been showing his stripes since the early 70s. What he did in the 80s with the Central Park Five was so vile that he should never have been allowed in polite society after that. He is utterly incapable of leading this country. And it's dangerous to allow him to do so. He's somebody who's directly responsible for hundreds of thousands of Americans death, American deaths. He's somebody who's directly responsible for the kidnapping and incarceration in concentration camps All of true. children. He's somebody who was willing and continues to be uh, willing. All right, we get the point. It goes on and on like this. I didn't know it went on that long. Well, you can see why she's a hit over there at MSNBC. Uh, I knew she was a total fraud and a phony when she said that she was told that as a six-year-old child that she was a total fraud, a phony. It's almost like Nitwit Nero sent him the script. Donald Trump cheated on his SAT. I've done some things in my life that I'm not that proud of. My niece does not know about any of those things, okay? I Are you a Trump dipshit? Do you have a niece dipshit? Don't believe this situation, but I didn't ignore it. When she wrote this phony baloney book designed to hurt Trump in the middle of the 2020 campaign, which he has never read, she doesn't even have a picture of herself with her uncle Donald Trump. I knew it was a fake, but I didn't ignore it. You see, the fake news, they ignore all news that they don't like. They just ignore it. We confront it. I read the book and I debunked it page by page. Actually, sure you did. Two years ago, actually, on in this very room, uh, tearing the junk out of that book. And um, I'm proud of that, actually. We don't ignore news that may not be favorable to our side. They <laughs> yeah, remember, we're talking about Newsmock here. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, were, what, were they, what were they talking about when uh, the January 6th hearings were taking place? It, it, right? I don't know. Shark attacks? Something like that? Yeah. Right. So uh, let's run over. Uh, let's run over and check in with Scott. Hey, Scott. How's life at the hey. home? Oh, <laughs> you said that uh, some of those uh, Trumpsters and, and uh, wannabes and stuff should be in a home. I was just calling to let you know. Please be sure it's not this particular home, at least for the next day, day and a half. After that, I still wouldn't wish it on these folks, but it would certainly liven the place up a wee bit. Today has been strange, Robin. I mean, I had a little, uh, uh, a little uh, accident involving number one. I shouldn't say this on the air, but I think people need to know that sometimes, you know, you're headed for the, the room a la rest, and you get there maybe 48 seconds later than you should have. And that was the problem. Oh, no. So now I'm in the, in the gown. My stuff went to, to the laundry, and the guy who's been assisting me, uh, Enrique, has been just bending over backwards to help me. Apparently... The, the, the running pants, the long running pants that were laundered uh, yesterday, the laundry's closed and they haven't made the deliveries of the of the done work. 
so I'm going to be in this freaking gown. And they so, are sexy as hell. Well, I, I have got two of them because I'm a rather, you know, uh, um, what they, what is that word that they used to use at um, Portly? The, no, no, the GC Murphy. You remember that little chain of uh, East Coast Certainly. stores? Had uh, a, a a term for young men who 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 had butts on which you could play four-handed pinochle. Husky and, and uh, husky, husky, yeah. So that's uh, because I am of of the husky. Thanks world. for the pinochle reference, by the way. I yeah, you can play four-handed pinochle with room for drinks, snacks, chips, and uh, a, a lovely centerpiece. So anyway. Uh, so I've got uh, two gowns, actually. I've got a gown for the back, from the midway back, and then a front gown for the midway front. And I'm just covered. I'm just, I couldn't be. Now, I look silly, but I don't give a shit. I, I just want all my arrangements, you know, in a non-public uh, place as a viewing. Uh, I don't want no viewing opportunity. I'm not going to give these thrills away for free, you see. You gotta pay a dime, uh, at least if you want the uh, thrill of a lifetime. But anyway, uh, he's gonna—he's uh, getting the maintenance guy to open up the laundry room so that if the running pants are ready to go, he will bring them to me post haste. And right now, I'm waiting for uh, the meds supervisor. Today's adventure had to do with the uh, the uh, oxy that I'm taking for um, for my leg for the pain normally only at bedtime but um, it's kind of flared up today and I've been I had waited from like 8:30 this morning until about three o'clock this afternoon before they finally got a simple little pill to me and I'm I, I will be so happy I mean I appreciate the good help and the care that I've been given and the food and all that good stuff. But there are some people who are not reading these memos, Robin, you know, in terms of care. And no, no. missed the memo. You know, missed, the, missed a whole freaking stack of them. So, but anyway, I guess in the grand scheme of things, I could be much worse off. So I count my, my, um, my lucky uh, stars and my blessings that, Things are at least as good as they are. I mean, what more can you do, really, when it comes down to it? But I, I, I was a little late getting my email to you when Dave was actually on. I wanted you to put in a special request for him to send me some Geta. Did we ever talk about Geta? You talk about food? I don't. Th no, 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 no. As I recall... I, I know about loose meat sandwiches, and that's still just, I mean, I, I guess they're good, but just the, okay, well, the combination of the words. Okay, the, the stuff that I'm referring to, I've only had once or twice, and it was when I first moved uh, from uh, where I was to uh, Cincinnati, uh, and they served it at a restaurant in Indiana, I think, and it was like... It's not scrapple, because we all know what scrapple is. It's not sausage. We all know what sausage is. This is sort of a mixture of, of meat, chopped, finely chopped meat and spices and onions and pin oats. 
and it's G O E T T A. Wait, pin, like Pinto it. beans? No, p- 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 uh, Pinos is what I meant to say. What did I say? Pin, pin beans? Well, no, you said Pinto, Pinos, and, and I heard P I N T O S. Do you mean pimentos? No, no, no. no. I, what I meant was uh, pin oats. You know what pin oats Pin oats. Oh, oh uh, yeah. uh, uh, like uh, uh, oats that aren't rolled. Right, exactly. Steel cut oats, exactly. they're called. Steel cut. I couldn't think of that term. But anyway, it's this finely cut uh, combination of meats. Don't know what they were. Uh, onion spices and pin oats, cooked obviously and mixed in, and it's served like a side dish. Like it sounds. It's you know what it it's, it's it's it sounds like. It sounds like haggis without the sheep's stomach. Well, never having had haggis, but having heard of it. I can't really say for sure, but it's very yummy. And it's there's a region of um, of Indiana and maybe parts of Ohio, and just a defined region where that's the only place I have seen it. And even in the grocery stores, it's, it comes in a roll like sausage meat does, and you put it in the pan, throw in your onions and spices, and fry it up. And it, I'm telling you. Check it out. Look it up. Maybe there's a home home recipe, and you can give it a try. I don't know if you're a big breakfast eater, but um, man, it was good. No, I like to. Yeah, I'm 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 mostly I'm mostly a, uh, into like yogurt and stuff in the morning. But no, I, I I can sit down to a hearty breakfast. Yeah, well, if you ever have a hearty breakfast, check your grocery stores. You're in West Virginia, so it's possible. Are you on the east side or the west side? Are you closer to Ohio than you are, let's say, Maryland? And uh, actually, I'm smack dab in. I'm almost smack dab in the middle of West Virginia. I'm oh, an well, uh, I'm an hour. I'm well. I'm about two hours from the western border at uh, Huntington. A couple of hours from crossing the bridge into Ohio at like Gallipolis mm-hmm. um, or Point Pleasant. Um, hour and a half from the Virginia line. Um, Maryland is just forever away. Three hours from Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm just really in West Virginia. So, yeah, I, I can see where you're just sort of centrally located in the middle of nowhere or something. I, I shouldn't say that. I'm casting aspersions, but I don't mean to. But anyway. Yeah, I, check it out next time you're in the grocery store in the place where you would normally find bacon and I have never stuff. seen anything like it ever G O E T T A I think it never called. never I mean you well, have you have introduced bad. a new word into the horn lexicon That's too bad because I thought you being the food aficionado that you are that you, you would have said oh yeah I had that once No yeah. I've also never eaten a live beating cobra heart either I mean you know Bourdain did that but I've never you know never been to Vietnam Well let's leave Trump out of it won't you I mean please <laughs> Wait a minute You get an original cowbell for that Thank you I didn't like the other one I I, I did there's something about it it sounds like a it sounds like a, a, a fire engine bell or the, yeah, on one of those old antique steam pumpers. Well, it's a, it's, it's, it's a department store cowbell. It's never been, 
and it's not even it's got a hand it's got like a bicycle handle grip on it it's not meant for use with livestock whereas the real deal that sparky provided all those years ago is really really meant to be hung about the neck of a sheep or a cow or something yeah and wouldn't that be the sheep or the cow that is basically the the group leader doesn't the bell have a function to signal the other well, i mean what is there an election no no i'm not no no we were through with elections for a year or so uh, i'm talking about god now i've just got this vision of a of, of a sheep out there going it was stolt it was stolt well no you know what a sheep dog is right yes a sheep dog sort of uh, keeps the herd packed in together and also protects from predators and stuff but I always heard that there, in herds like that, there are goats, or there is a goat or a sheep uh, that apparently has a has leadership abilities. I mean, I'm not going to run them for public office or anything, but apparently they can keep them all. You know, the dog brings up the rear, and the, the this sort of goat or sheep, that type of uh, creature of that sort, does the leading. I don't know where the hell I was going with that, but it, I, it's medicine, Robin, I'm telling you. I'm flakier than grandmother's pie crust. Whee! Yes, I'm serious. I'm like I'm on a little bicycle. Are, are you, do, you, do, you, do you feel like you're getting in touch with Aunt Effie's spirit a little bit, maybe? No, not yet. I'd have to be really ripped to the tits to, to you know, to... to orchestrate magic of that sort. Uh, I don't suppose you can get any wrestling on the TV there in the home, can you? No, not of the type that I like. The old school 1950s, 1960s uh, wrestling before it got all... uh, That's wrestling, Scott. uh, Corporately owned or whatever. I'm old enough, I think, to remember Vince McMahon Sr., if you can believe that. Well, Ron and Law, they're speechless. Um, I'm, spell this G A this this food for me again, because Ron and Raleigh found loose meat sandwich. That's not it. Okay, no, this is something else. It's a breakfast sort of side dish. It's I'll spell it G O E T T A, and it's pronounced Geta, like. Get a life for okay. There it is. Place of origin: Cincinnati metropolitan area. A meat and grain sausage or mush of German inspiration, popular in Metro Cincinnati. Um, hmm. It's exactly what it. It was a, originally a dish meant to stretch out servings of meat over several meals to conserve money, similar to a scrapple and liver mush, also of German origin. Now, I've never heard of liver mush. I know it. Oh, I know a girl who was absolutely mad for it. Every time she yeah. got there, there's a place over in Virginia, uh, a diner's, and and I, every time she visits, she's like, "Oh my God, I got the liver mush." Now I've seen in the uh, refrigerated case, in a uh, tube sort of configuration, something just called mush, but it doesn't say liver. Oh mush. no, no, mush, mush is cornmeal mush, and. Um, Annette, back when Bob Evans didn't suck, because uh, I Bob Evans day. sold off the restaurant end of things, and Bob Evans to, to some you know giant corporation of America who still runs it under the Bob Evans name. 
Yeah, not nearly as. But well. they used to have they used to have, you know, griddle fried cornmeal mush, and they would serve it with butter and syrup, and Annette just loved it. Oh wow! Um, it's like it's it's like if you if you turn if you made grits into a cake. Only it's cornmeal instead of grits, which are not the same thing. Does it have the consistency and taste of like a corn fritter? No, it has the. It's like a. It's like a corn cake. A corn cake. Yeah, like a. a you know, it's. It's it's literally cornmeal mush that's been formed up and made into a rectangle and grilled and. Yeah, but your uh, your ghetto apparently uh, originates with German settlers from the northwestern regions of because I'm Wikipedia. Oldenburg, Hanover, and Westphalia, who came to Cincinnati in the in in the 1800s, and it's referred to alongside uh, Cincinnati chili and mock turtle soup, the holy trinity of local Cincinnati specialties. Well, I've never had mock turtle soup. I have had. Uh Chili, obviously. Cincinnati chili. Don't just say chili. Yeah. You got to say Cincinnati. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I like uh, I Gold Star. Gold Star was okay, but there's another one. I think Skyline. Skyline, was, uh, yeah. But there was. An and you know, you can buy that stuff frozen over at the Wally World across the river. I, I, not that I do. Really? I know you can get it in cans. Yeah, I remember. We were we were actually. Oh God, we were on our way. Either yeah, I think we were on our way to. Las Vegas one year for uh, Netroots Nation, and there was a skyline that was there in the in the uh, Cincinnati airport, which is of course in Covington, Kentucky. And oh, yeah. I, and and so had all the kids with us, and I'm like, all right, we're going to sit down and we're going to try some famous Cincinnati chili. And which one I, was the Gold Star? Did you say? No, it was the Skyline. Skyline, okay. And we, 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 we tucked into it, and without fail, all of our kids went and said, What the hell is this? <laughs> this chili is sweet with cinnamon in it. Yeah, and a little cocoa powder. Some of them have yeah. that. Although I, I, I confess I'm, I'm terribly intrigued about the ghetto. Um, well, here's what here's what you do. Don't you? Aren't you on? It's uh, apparently commercially available in Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana, as long yeah. as you're near Cincinnati. Which you're not, obviously. And well, it comes in like a, it looks like it comes in like a sausage roll, and you yeah slice it and, and, and grill it. Although it comes in link yeah. form too. In link form, I never knew that. Well, that's pretty amazing. I just can't imagine it because it doesn't seem to have the. They'd have to put it in a skin of some sort. To do and it, and and apparently it falls under the broad philosophical heading of, and doesn't this just sound yummy? Meat gruel. Oh my God! And if I'd known that, 
meat gruel. Yes, there's a couple of other dishes that are just jet brought. They they they're just known as meat gruels. Why does why does the musical Oliver immediately come to mind? More please. More please. <laughs> or Annie, you remember the movie? Uh, the sun will come out tomorrow, and Carol Burnett is the meat yes lady yes Anagan or whatever. God, meat gruel. See now, if I was writing something, right up there with loose meat, baby. If I was writing something that was designed to inform the reader and maybe entice them into trying a new taste treat, I certainly wouldn't describe it as in the meat gruel family. I mean, that's like that's like roadkill. Would only a step and a half above roadkill. I'm just wondering about the fleisch und gruel. How's that? Well, you've, you've got to, uh, you got to, given the fact that the German people take a certain attitude when it comes to eating everything that is on your plate, or you will like it. You know? It will be yummy. So what is that? What is that German word you use? It's part of which family? <laughs> <laughs> I was making it up as I went along, but meat gruel. Oh, because I was going to, that German uh, phrase... Where's my buddy Reverbo the human man when I need him? That would make a hell of a tattoo. I mean, that would, you know, that on, on, on around the bicep, in, in old English uh, lettering, whatever that word was, that's scare the hell out of the children. <laughs> the barbed wire around the bicep and then that word. And, and scare the hell out of the children. My God, quick. To the house. The monsters are out. <laughs> well, apparently Kroger carries it, according to Ron and Raleigh. Yeah, I think I I did see it in Kroger in like northern Kentucky, like. Well, it's damn sure not in my Krogers. Well, uh, send a, a note to your butcher because he apparently can special order stuff. Oh no! I've tried. I tried that with Kaneka sausage, and it's like, no. Nah, the computer tells us what we can have. That's it. Forget about it. This is the state we're in, Robin. The fucking computer is the sole arbiter of, what, of who gets what. And but see, you've I'm never had souse. I've never what? You've never had souse. Souse? Yeah, S O U S E. Souse. 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 <laughs> right. Accent grave <laughs> over the e. Right. No, what is sauce? Well, it's another it's another coarse country pate, and it, it, like all like all great poor people food, you know, at, at at butchering time in the fall when the weather turns, you don't waste none of it. You know, this is the, the, these are the same people who gave us things like head cheese. Oh, I don't even want to know about that. Tell me, you've never heard of head cheese. I've heard of it, but I I I never was moved by. Und Leberkäse? Liver cheese? Is that like liverwurst? Kinda, maybe. All right, I used to like. But but my grand, you know, when 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 it's when it's hog killing time, and the vegetarians in the horn community are like, why does she do this to us? This is disgusting. Uh, oh, thank you, Cynthia. Cynthia jumped in. Thank you. Thank you so much, sister. Uh, uh, Ken's challenge has been met, so we are now happily down to $1,370 to go. And that is tremendous. So thank you, Ken, for the challenge. And 
Uh, thank you to Ralphs and Cynthia for meeting the challenge. Thank you so much, Christopher, for getting us started this evening. But, yeah, no, salsa is delicious. It's, but you know, the thing is, you know, you don't waste things. You know, the, the common saying was, you know, at, at hog-killing time, you, you eat everything but the oink. Yeah. Well, and it was by necessity, but it was also a, just a mindset. That well, it was had. pretty damn creative and tasty, too. Well, they, because the, this is just, you know, sauce is just scraps. It's basically the same principle as sausage, only it's tightly formed and baked. And you put it in the fridge, it's cold, you cut it in slices, and it's absolutely delicious. Oh, you eat it cold? You can eat it cold, you can pan fry it, you can do anything. It's a, you know, it's a regular joint. See, I, I might have tried it, but I'm not going to eat anything cold like that. I mean, I read too many articles as a young person. Yeah, oh, and by the way, we had uh, the, the morning guy uh, over at Newsmuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had a note from Mark who said, The woman who accused New York TV morning show anchor Greg Kelly of raping her Told investigators the assault left her pregnant, sources told ABC News. Search Greg Kelly rape case. Daddy was police commissioner. Case dismissed. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for that backgrounder. Was that the person you were playing audio of earlier? Yeah, the guy that didn't like Mary Trump. As I was sitting here listening to that, I'm thinking, what a sanctimonious twerp. Sometimes twerp just comes in so handy. I mean... It's like you know that he's stretching or something. It's like he, he's making points that are not even, I mean, I guess in his mind they're valid. Well, he said, but, you know, there are things that I did that I didn't tell my niece about. Apparently the rape was one of those things. Well, yeah, it would have been, I guess. But it's just one of the, everybody, you know, that's the Limbaugh effect is what it is. Ever since Limbaugh called on, it was a big thing in many uh, hearts and minds. Everybody wanted to be Rush, Rushbo Jr. And consequently, you know? they, had to con- they, they had to constantly one-up each other. Uh, I've, I've mentioned that before. I could, not, I could never work in right-wing talk simply because constantly having to come up with a conspiracy theory weirder than the one before would be exhausting. Well, and some people just don't have the, the talent or ability or something to pull it off to come across. And then you'd like, have to then you'd have to close the mic and 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 guzzle at least a pint of old panther piss. Well, yeah. Remember all those Three Stooges movies with the bottle of old panther? <laughs> Indeed, I do. Yeah, Never old I, panther was the drink of choice for the Three Stooges. I, I remember my dad yet. explaining. Uh, well, actually, Robin, that's not just an old panther, Dad. Well, no, it's actually old panther piss, but... Yeah. <laughs> he loved his yeah. comedy. He really, really did. Well, yeah. i got to get out of here. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Christopher up in Oregon says, Scott will be the bell of the ball, given the bells that... You... I'm just imagining Scott being fitted for a gown, preparing for the Holmes annual New Year's ball. <laughs> be home by midnight, Scott, or your husky ass will turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> Well, I hope that I am not here for New Year's. I want to be home for New Year's because that's where the vodka lives. So. 
And uh, by the way, I have here a recipe for homemade sauce, courtesy of Ron and Raleigh. Sousse. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, yields two loaves, serving 16, prep time two hours. Uh, you'll need, uh, you ready for the ingredients here? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> uh, you'll need two beef tongues, four pig's ears, two pig's feet. Beef tongue. La lengua. It's delicious. Hi. Two beef tongues, four pig's ears, two pig's feet, four onions chopped, two tablespoons of salt, a teaspoon of ground black pepper, 15 whole black peppercorns, three tablespoons of dried sage, 15 whole cloves, four bay leaves, two tablespoons of pickling spice, a half teaspoon of garlic powder, three cups of distilled white vinegar, two pimentos julienne, six pepperoncinis chopped, four tablespoons dill pickle relish, five tablespoons unflavored gelatin, and a cup of water. Well, shoot. Are you ready for the directions? I'm in Vegas for that. You're ready, ready for the directions? Yeah, go ahead. Place tongues, pig's ears, pig's feet, and onions in a large stock pot. Add water to cover. Season with salt, pepper, whole peppercorn, sage, cloves, and bay leaves, pickling spice, garlic powder, and vinegar. Bring to a boil and cook until meat is cooked about two and a half hours. Step two. Remove meat, set aside to cool. You know, I, I don't. I don't think Cat in Ohio is going to enjoy this recipe nearly as much as she did the eggnog recipe. <laughs> uh, measure eight cups into another pot. Return broth to stove and let simmer. Step three. He. Ears, feet, and tongue. I'm still. Peel, step three. Peel skin from ears, leaving the ear as intact as possible. Place the ears aside, apparently out of hearing distance. Separate ears. Remove Separate gristle and fat from pig's feet and combine with ear trimmings. Cut off large portion of tongue and set aside. <laughs> Take two tablets and skip an hour, you know? <laughs> is, is this something you saw on the... Painless cooking with the Marquet de Sade? No, no, my, 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 my grandmother would make this, she loved it, and she got me to taste it, and it was really, it, it is a coarse country pate. You could put this on a white plate and serve it in midtown Manhattan and charge Donald Trump $100 for it. And, it sounds delicious. And even if it tasted like garbage to him, he'd put some ketchup on it and go for it. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, you got that right. I just, I just can't get beyond the tongue, uh, the ears, and the. Well, tongue. no, t I tongue just, is just—it's magnificent. It's delicious. Just quit. But we're over time. But I didn't want to leave without providing you the recipe. When you well, get when you, when you get home from the home, you need to go shopping. Get yourself some tongue, some pig's ears, and not the ones that not the ones at the pet supply that are that are all dried out. Those come from China, and they're not good for your pets or you. <laughs> uh, you're taking advantage of my weakened state. That's what you're doing. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I I may not make it, but I'm glad at least I know about it. So if it comes up in a in a crossword puzzle or something as a clue, I'll know that that's what that's referring to. And now I've got to figure, I don't know, if I get over into Ohio, uh, close to Cincinnati, I'll go to Kroger's and get some Getta. 
Yeah, and I gotta I, get it, get it. I have a feeling you'll like it. It was pretty. You like Scrapple? Yeah, I didn't like it as a kid, but as an adult, I can. It's like liver. I can deal with it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, thank you, Robin. For, oh, you're 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 welcome. Say say good with me. Say say good night, Scott. Uh, good night, Scott. And hopefully, this will be my last uh, evening at the, at the home. And uh, later in the week, I'll check in from the old same place, or is it the same old place? Well, uh, we will keep our fingers crossed. I mean, are you getting just one? Land, are you getting around okay? Oh yeah, getting around fine. Getting around fine. Getting you know itchy and antsy to be out of here. Have you how, how have you have you done with the cones and the sandbags and the? Oh, they stopped doing the flaming batons. Today. Today it was. <laughs> today, what the hell was it today? I can't remember. But then again, you gotta go, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Truth. Anyway, all right, take care and good night, Warren family, wherever you are. Stay well, and get your New Year's resolution uh, party arrangements going and your resolutions in order, because the New Year is almost here. Thank goodness. Indeed, indeed. Fare thee well, 2022. All right, I'll talk to you later, Scott. Be careful. Be good. Take care. Bye. Scott calling in from the home. And so we come to the end of the program. Thank you again. Um, Thank you to Christopher, and thank you to Ralphs, and thank you so much to Cynthia. Thank thank you for meeting, getting us, uh, knocking it down a little further. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that means we're going to be at like 400 and something a night just to try to end um, and December in 2022 to the good or to the even. Thank you to our Patreon, PayPal subscribers. Thank you to our a la carte contributors, as mentioned. And thank you all month long, all year long, all these years long. Thank you. Uh, thank you to each and every one of you who shares your precious finite time engaging in the program in whatever manner you so choose. Thanks to our all-volunteer staff. Had lots of cops in the chat room this evening. Thank you to uh, uh, to Sparky and Roger and Steve. Thank you to our news ninjas. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa, head on dot live. Remember, brand new Fresh Malloy on the way, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, uh, with yours truly and Tara Devlin. The best place to listen to the first run of Malloy is, of course, head on dot live, because no commercials. Thank you, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, WhiteRoseSociety.org. Thanks to the hardest working, bravest people I know, the folks at Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net, 20 plus years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia, and a proud union shop for almost a year now. New Congress on the way. Hopefully we will have the, uh, the Appalachian Communities Health Emergency Act reintroduced in the new Congress. Please stay safe. Get your booster. Get your flu shot. Wipe down your surfaces. Help stop the spread of RSV. Probably do a pretty good job on the other viruses, too. We're back to mask wearing. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Use your hand sanitizer. If you're not around somewhere that you can wash your hands, keep your social distance 15 to 20 feet, like Paul from Parts Unknown says. And uh, for pity's sakes, if uh, somebody comes uh, wandering toward you, 
babbling something about, well, then credit card readers, the, the signature match is pretty dang good. Well, avoid that little hobbit Republican senator from South Carolina like the plague. Because he is. And always, 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 Gina, it's all for you. Later.